Let me try that again. You want me to try again? Okay. Um, yeah, let's go. Okay. Let's try this again. All right. Welcome to the July 25th meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Hello, everybody. Before we get started, we are still hybrid. Um, we have people online and in the room. So I'm going to ask Becky Pepper to read the protocol for this evening. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and on cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen and you'll still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating though, please turn your video on. And if you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And uh, with that, I'll now turn it back over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. Uh, before we get started here, general business and through the agenda, um, I'd like to ask that we rearrange the schedule a bit. Um, we have uh, three items that are related and then one item to go at the end of the evening as the agenda reads now for SUP 2200165. If there are no objections from the rest of the commission, I would like to move that to the front of uh, right, our regular agenda so we can spend the bulk of the evening on the matter um, of the rezoning and special use permit. Great idea. Yeah. Infections? Okay, so we will go with um, item number two first when we get to the regular agenda. Okay, for now, we're back up to uh, the minutes. Uh, if there are no uh, objections, does, do I have a motion to approve the minutes? Move, we approve the minutes. A second? Second. So, Commissioner Carter seconds. Any discussion? All right, can we have a vote, please, Jeff? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroda? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? <coughs> yes. Commissioner Duver? Abstain. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes six, zero, and one. Great, and thank you. And I would also like now to take a moment to welcome our newest commission member, Prashant Duvor. Thank you. If I, I'm sorry if I will, I will get that. Perfect, that was Okay, perfect. good. Um, so welcome. Thank welcome. you, thank you. All right, so on to communications. Um, do we have any written communications from the public? All communications were included in your packet this evening. Mm -hmm. Um, do written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? No additional items tonight. Okay. Do we have any written action of any waiver request determinations made by the city engineer? None this evening. Okay. Are there, is there disclosure of ex parte communications? Seeing none online or in here. Okay. Uh, any de declaration of abstentions from specific agenda items by the commissioners? Hearing none. 
Okay, now um, we are at the point where we allow general public comment. So this is comments from the public that are not related to the items before us this evening. Are there any members of the public that would like to speak to anything other than what is on the agenda this evening? I don't see anybody in the room. No one online. All right, then we will move on to our regular agenda item items. And so we're, what we're going to do is take number two first. That is uh, planning staff Luke Mortensen will present the project. It is for approval of a special use permit for the expansion of a legally non-conforming bar lounge. And Luke Mortensen will present. Uh, good evening. Uh, commissioners, Luke Mortensen, Planner of Planning and Development Services. Let me make sure I have my screen right. Okay, um, thank you everybody and, and, and thank you Chair for um, amending tonight's agenda, agenda, both myself and my applicant, um, thank you for that. Um, as Chair Ashworth just noted, this item is a request to consider approving a special use permit for the expansion of an existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use located at 733 New Hampshire Street. I added this slide for clarity as the addressing could be confusing. The existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use, Leroy's, is addressed at 729 New Hampshire Street. It's shown in red. The proposed internal expansion area is shown in yellow. Douglas County addresses the overall parcel at 735 New Hampshire Street. Uh, however, the area under consideration tonight is the building area that's currently addressed at 733 New Hampshire Street. It's shown in yellow. It's not uncommon for attached buildings in the downtown area to encumber lot lines and have multiple addresses, uh, as is the case here. This subject business is an existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use. Um, it is considered legally non-conforming because the bar lounge use designation was established prior to the adoption of non-alcohol sales requirements in the downtown area. While Leroy's Tavern was not the original bar lounge use in this space, the building addressed at 729 New Hampshire Street has maintained uh, the use and has had a sufficient liquor license history, which is included as uh, an attachment on this agenda items materials. Over time, these types of establishments have become known as grandfathered drinking establishments. Just a reminder, the bar lounge use is a permitted use in the CD, that's our downtown commercial zoning district, as long as 55% of gross sales receipts come from non-alcohol sales. Previously, those sales had to be food sales. However, in 2021, the city commission adopted ordinance number 9856, which allowed for the 55% food sales to be 55% um, sales of anything other than alcohol. This could be food, clothing, or other services, for example. Ordinance number 9856 and a deeper dive into the downtown drinking establishments is included within the staff report and the agenda items materials. The code does not automatically restrict the expansion or alteration of legally non-conforming uses. Rather, this is regulated by Article 15 of the Land Development Code. 
In this instance, the code requires that the applicant obtain an approved special use permit prior to the physical expansion of the current Leroy space. You'll see in the staff report that the applicant has submitted a code compliant site plan that graphically shows the proposed improvements to 733 New Hampshire Street. The, expanding, the expanded area would be accessed via internal openings and would be used for additional bar space and pool tables. The building address of 733 New Hampshire Street has previously been a grandfather drinking establishment. However, the most recent user, which was a fast order food use, did not maintain the liquor license tied to the building and the previously legally non-conforming component expired and the building transitioned into a code compliant fast order food use only. A licensing history for 733 New Hampshire Street is included also in this item's agenda materials. I'll refer to my analysis in the staff report regarding this proposed special use permits compliance with Article 13 of the Land Development Code. Staff believes this proposed expansion satisfies some identified goals from both the city's comprehensive plan, that's Plan 2040, and the recently adopted Downtown Lawrence Plan. I'm happy to try and answer any questions about downtown drinking establishments. During the pandemic and now as it begins to ease, this has once again become a topic of discussion. That being said, I would encourage you all to consider this proposed special use permit independently of that larger conversation and consider this as an expansion of an existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use. To conclude, Staff recommends approval of this proposed special use permit to expand the existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use located at 729 New Hampshire Street into the building address 733 New Hampshire Street. The applicant has submitted a site plan and materials that satisfy the standards for when and how non-conforming uses may be expanded as outlined in Articles 13 and 15 of the Land Development Code. Staff does not recommend any conditions or time limits. Just a note, your recommendation tonight will not determine whether the existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use at 729 New Hampshire Street may continue to operate. Your recommendation tonight will center on the applicant's proposed expansion into the space addressed at 733 New Hampshire Street. Alternatively, a separate and new bar lounge use could be established at 733 New Hampshire Street as long as 55% of its gross receipts come from non-alcohol sales. That would be the case for a non-Leroy's bar lounge use. With that, I'll wrap up, um, and I believe the applicant is with us tonight um, for further questions if you have them. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And I believe Paul Werner is online. Yeah, thank you. And uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warner Architects. And uh, thank you for rearranging the agenda tonight. That's awesome. I'm on vacation. So this is even better. Um, I appreciate that. Um, uh, thank Lucas. Uh, great report. I think you did an excellent summary of, of what we're doing. Um, Leroy's is a successful um, pool hall, for lack of a better word. It's downtown. We think we're a good neighbor. Um, it is operating under a grandfather liquor license, as Luke mentioned. Um, the space available next door um, became available when grinders kind of failed. And um, we submitted some pictures. I don't know if you guys have seen those, but um, when they left, they took everything. So 
I wanted to be clear that everybody knows there is nothing left in that building at all other than the bathrooms, which is kind of um, awesome for us. But um, and doing a little bit more research and stuff that Leroy's is really hamstrung by doing pool tournaments because they can't have enough pool tables to really get some of the bigger tournaments. So this is an opportunity for them to expand, expand their business. Um, uh, uh, think it's a great use. It's a good building to expand into. It's a good street to expand in downtown, we believe. We think they're a good neighbor. Um, we don't know of any issues uh, at all that some of the other bars have. So um, we, we appreciate staff support and we look for your guys' support and happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, is there any public comment on this item? Now's the time to invite public comment on this particular item of Leroy's Bar Downtown. No one in the room. Is there anyone online? I'm not seeing anybody online for this item. All right, then we will bring the discussion back up to the commission. Does anybody have any comments on this particular project? Got a couple questions. Um, uh, this is a, maybe a minor thing. I, I noticed I didn't understand as I read through the uh, document, it references 733 and 735, both addresses. Um, is there an easy explanation why there's, we're, we're calling it 733, but we, we stayed in there, the parcel's address at 735? Luke, Luke may have a better answer than me. Um, sorry, Paul Warner. Um, I think they're currently owned by the same owner and with the common wall, I think the county or whatever just picked an address at the time that it was tied to. So um, going back to Luke's original slide that showed we have Leroy's and then there's the one story section of that we're going to expand into. And then the two story section is actually under the different address. But for whatever reason, that's how the county had them listed and that's where we're stopping at the dividing wall. So um, we, we need to make a little effort to probably get that cleaned up. But, but I hope that helps answer that question. Kinda, thank you. Okay, I keep going just a little bit. Mm -hmm, please. Um, uh, Paul, is it, uh, is it the, the intention of Leroy's to expand fully, gonna knock a hole in the wall and operate as one business inside of both properties? Um, so uh, in the site plan, um, I think it should be in the packet. We are showing an opening on the east side of the common wall and an opening on the west side. Um, that's one of the reasons we have Lynn Zollner, uh, the HRC administrator support, is that she was concerned that we were going to do what you kind of said, knock out the common wall, and, and we were really not doing that. We're providing a six foot opening on the east side and a six foot opening on the west side. So how we see this really operating, you know, how the owner would love to be busy seven nights a week, but that just isn't the case. So Leroy's would function the way it currently functions today. And on those special nights or special occasions or a big weekend, um, you know, hopefully football games, stuff like that, when it's at capacity that's the when you open up the other side and then it would function as a full um, pool hall for for both spaces but 
those spaces won't be used um, every day. Um, we just don't have that capacity yet in Lawrence. So, um, but it, it is separated enough that it can operate as one, but it would not be opened up entirely. Thank you. Thanks. Questions, concerns from other commissioners? Just a quick question. So in the future, if it were to be split again, do both units have the same grandfathering status? That would be a question for Luke. Yeah, yeah Luke Mortensen, Plain Development Services. Um, I can get back with a complete answer, but my interpretation at this point would be 729, the existing Leroy's would maintain it. And I do not believe 733 would maintain it, given the fact that there was that time period where it had gone away. To be a non-conforming use, you have to have established it in a compliant manner and maintained it. And so this would have that brief time period, you know, roughly 2020 to 2022, if, if approved, where it did not maintain that non-conforming status. Thank you. Any other concerns, questions um, from any commissioners online? Yes, Commissioner Carter. Thanks. Um, I have a question for staff. Back in September 2021, we um, uh, considered a text amendment, and I believe we forwarded it to the city commission with a recommendation to approve that offered greater flexibility in the expansion of nonconforming use, uses. Um, could you remind us of what happened to that um, text amendment and also um, how it might affect, how this expansion might affect um, uh, the bottleneck, which was, I believe, the, the entity that requested that text amendment? Yes, Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services. Uh, that, yes, you are correct. There was a text amendment to the Land Development Code that altered and kind of amended how non-conforming uses can be expanded um, and altered. And so that's going to be in Article 15. And this uh, actually took advantage of that. Um, and so because it was expanding, I'm going to pull up that section so I can look at it because we separate them by residential and non-residential uses. And then from there, we um, have a percentage of the area of the floor area that's being uh, uh, expanded. And based on the percentage is, will determine if it's gonna be a site plan path that's administrative or a special use permit path, you know, through you guys and through the city commission. Because this case, was a non-residential use that was expanding more than 15% of its existing non-conforming floor area. That's why it got put on the SUP track. And I would imagine, I don't, to my knowledge, I haven't seen anything from that bottleneck come through, um, but they would, that would probably be a similar situation um, if they were looking to expand more than that 15% of the existing floor area. Great, thank you, Luke. Yes, thank you, Commissioner Carter, for reminding us of that previous text amendment. Any other? Yes, uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Thanks. Um, Luke, you look like you're about to tell us a scary story at a camp. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you can 
the the one for the bottleneck if i remember right please let me know if i'm remembering this correctly was to expand it and expansion was only to be used for storage area or for a kitchen or something like that not for actually where alcohol would be consumed so how would that compare to what this request is Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services. Um, before I answer your question, I will say there is a very spooky story about a planning commission meeting going till midnight. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, so the code, the new Article 15, or the amended Article 15, doesn't really get that specific of the use component. Um, it just talks about the percentage of the floor area of that existing non-conforming use. So in our in our eyes, in the code's eyes, it doesn't really matter what that new expanded space is going to be used for. We're, we're looking at um, how big it is as a percentage of the existing area. Where, where you get into that floor area conversation um, is you're right, talking about um, alcohol sales or alcohol consumption areas. And that's when you'll begin to work with our city clerk to you're expanding your um, liquor license, you're amending that component. And that's gonna be a different track than, than this, this track. Does that answer your question? Yes, I guess it does. I, you know, I just remember the conversation about the floor area. I do remember about the liquor license and you have to draw out your floor areas. And, I mean, they get incredibly specific when you you work with the liquor license. I mean, it's yeah. where everything is. But but I think that that request actually came with us along with the text amendment. So we spent a lot of time talking about the use of the Florias and the special use permit. Yeah, and so maybe maybe it doesn't matter anymore with the way the text amendment's gone. Well, the previous Article 15 is mostly taken care of by the liquor license. Yeah, and the pre Luke Mortensen Plan Development Services. The previous Article 15 was much um, was a little bit more complicated, and this um, the amended version has fewer roots and it's a little bit more clear and there's less measuring of floor area and, and getting that specific now it's a little bit more clear residential versus non-residential and then we have certain benchmarks we have 15 percent and 25 percent of our floor areas and so um i'm guessing that's what you're you're thinking of probably of the of the more complicated previous version of 15. I was, and I was just wondering how this compared to that. So I'm glad to hear things got a little simpler since then. <clears throat> and just so the commission is aware there, it is the power saving features of the building that Luke is sitting in. Uh, he did not intentionally turn off the lights. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there any further comment on this item? One additional comment. Yes. Um, I, I would, uh, I certainly am in support of this development. I think uh, uh, Leroy's has been around for a long time. Uh, the idea that um, this development might create an environment that helps attract people from out of town into Lawrence, um, in downtown, heads and beds, shopping up and down Mass, I think is a positive thing. So I'd certainly be in support. If uh, anyone's ready, I'd be happy to make a motion if. There's no other discussion. 
Um, I don't think there is more discussion at this point, so feel free to go ahead and make a motion. I move we approve a special use permit SUP 22-00165 to permit the expansion of an existing legally non-conforming bar lounge use, Leroy's Tavern, located at the property commonly addressed at 733 New Hampshire Street. Um, this parcel is addressed as 735 New Hampshire Street. Is there a second? I'll second it. Thank you. That's Commissioner Thomas seconding. Um, any further discussion? Seeing none, I guess we'll call for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you very much. Enjoy your evening. Thank you. All right, now we are headed for regular agenda item number one, the three parts, A, B, and C. Each will have to have a separate vote this evening, um, but uh, staff, uh, Mary Miller will be presenting all three at once. Then we will be accepting public comment. Um, I've been told there's been a request to extend the public comment or each individual um, who is going to speak on this in public. Um, so I'm allowing that to go for four minutes instead of the regular three minutes. Um, if the applicant has a couple more minutes on their 10 minutes, that would be fine as well. Um, so what we'll do is we'll have uh, staff present all three items. We'll have public comment on all the items. And then um, we will have a discussion on three, but separate votes. Um, the applicant is requesting 10 minutes per item. Well, I was going to give four minutes per person. Okay. So did you, um, we could take, if we, I imagine that in public comment, most public comment will be addressing the whole package. Oh, for the presentation, yeah. the applicants are offer, asking for, um, since there's three items on the agenda, oh, 10 I minutes see. per item, mm -hmm. we, we are requesting to have 10 minutes per item. There is a presentation um, uh. from Evergy. Okay, 10 minutes per item. Thank you, sorry. Thank you for clarifying. So, planning staff, Mary Miller. Thank you, good evening, Present Mary Miller, planning staff. And I will be sharing my screen here quickly. As you mentioned, there are three parts to this project or this application. Uh, it involves a rezoning, a preliminary plat, and a special use permit. I just moved around. Now, this item was before the Planning Commission in 2021, in June of 2021. And um, the Planning Commission held a public hearing and returned the items to the applicant with directions to work to address the issues that were raised at the meeting and to uh, to work with the neighboring property owners. Now, the applicant since then has purchased additional land, which allowed them to move the substation to the north. And um, we've identified an error in the staff report. The applicant notified me that it was moved 42 feet to the north, not 62 feet. There was a typo in some of the information. So it was moved 42 feet further to the north rather than the 62 that was noted in the staff report. Since it's been over a year since it's been before the commission and there's several new commissioners, I'll present this as if it were a new item, but I will highlight changes from the previous plans. 
Uh, with the additional land, the rezoning application is being revised just to update and uh, the area within the request. Approximately 203 acres were added, bringing the area from 7.23 to 9.57 acres. The project includes one lot along Castle. It's 1844 Castle. This is currently zoned RS7, so while it is part of the overall project, it is not part of the rezoning request. The area outlined in dark blue is the area that was in the 2021 rezoning request, and the area in the dashed has just generally showing where the new area was added. This rezoning request would extend the RS7 zoning over the entire property. Uh, per the cooperation agreement between the City of Lawrence and the University of Kansas, land that is owned by KU or the KU Endowment Association can be zoned UKU, University Kansas, University District. Land within this district is exempt from the Land Development Code, but is governed by the cooperation agreement. When property is sold and is no longer owned by KU or the Endowment Association, it is necessary to rezone to an appropriate zoning district so that future development on the property will be subject to the standards of the Land Development Code. This map shows the zoning districts in the area. The area highlighted in yellow is currently zoned UKU, and the subject property is outlined in blue, as I mentioned earlier. And we have RS7 zoning to the west, except for one lot, which is zoned RM24 for multi-dwellings. It's currently developed with a detached dwelling, but it would be possible to develop it with a uh, multi-dwelling. The area to the south is zoned PUD. This is an older zoning district. Um, when it was instituted, there was a base zoning of RS2, and that was a single dwelling district, which converted with the 2006 development code to the RS7 district. So the property is basically surrounded on the west and the south by RS7 zoning. So the RS7 zoning that's being requested would be similar to and compatible with the zoning that's currently in the area. The RS7 district permits a very limited range of uses. Uh, uses permitted by right are on the left side of this table. Uh, being permitted by right means you either don't need any approvals and that would be crop agriculture or you just need a building permit, and that would be the residential purse um, projects. Um, if you're a minor utility, a limited extended care facility, or a neighborhood institution, you would need to site plan. Um, all other uses in the RS7 district would require a special use permit. Some uses um, are considered compatible with residential, but they may have um, off-site impacts, and so they require special use permits, such as an adult daycare home or a cultural center or library. And then there are other uses which may be necessary to locate in a residential area, such as utilities and cell towers um, that may also have off-site impacts, and these are also permitted when approved with a special use permit. And the intent of this project is to develop the property with a Evergy substation. Uh, so the rezoning is being evaluated for the appropriateness of the proposed district in the area, and the proposed use will be evaluated with a special use permit, which is also being considered tonight. Another factor we look at with the end of the zoning request is um, any detrimental impacts that could occur with the rezoning. And with the proposed rezoning, um, this shows the 2021 proposed layout of the substation with the transformers. And then with the additional area, the layout has been revised. There's a 
some more area, about 42 feet more to the south. In this area, a fire access lane has been installed and the buffer yard area has been extended from 400 feet to 600 feet in length, providing more of a buffer for the residential properties. And then the landscaping has been increased significantly. Um, and the majority of these trees are evergreen species. About 10 trees are deciduous and the rest are a mix of evergreen species to provide year round screening and buffering. Um, while the mix of species would provide an attractive buffer. Um, some detrimental impacts that could occur with the utility projects or could be traffic, activity on the site, noise, and lighting. Those are the primary negative impacts. This will be an unmanned substation, so there will be no traffic. As a matter of fact, they are requesting a modification from the requirement to provide off-street parking. And we'll discuss that a little later, but there will be no employees coming to the site to park. The only traffic to the site will be maintenance. A staff recommends approval of this rezoning request from UKU to RS7 and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings listed in the staff report. And the second part of this project would be the preliminary plat. The land development code permits building permits only on platted property. As I mentioned, 1844 Castle Drive is a platted lot, but the KU property is unplatted. Therefore, it's necessary to go through the major subdivision process to plat those. Um, the two properties would be combined into one platted lot of approximately 9.98 acres, and neither of the properties is currently developed. There. Now this graphic, the top one, shows the previous proposed lot and the proposed lot, current proposed lot is shown on the bottom. As you can see with the additional area, the facility has moved to the north somewhat. Also, all of the grading is able to occur on the subject property now, where previously it extended over into the KU property. Uh, the no changes are being proposed to the utility easements. The, uh, there'll be a sanitary sewer easement on the lot to the west. Uh, or utility easement anyway, and that will remain. And then there's a West Star easement along the south property line of the subject property, and there's no changes being proposed to that. In addition, there are off-site easements. The property, the project will not take access to Castle Drive, even though it will have frontage on that. It will take access to Bob Billings Parkway for their construction. And this gold area is a temporary access easement for that construction access. When it's up and running, Access will occur through the KU property to the east. And in this graphic, north is to the left of the page. So this is where the trucks that come to access the site will drive through. Um, the red area is just showing there used to be a temporary construction and drainage easement in this location. That's no longer necessary since all the grading will be on the subject property. The green area is temporary construction and um, drainage easements. The blue is access and the blue hatched is an overlapping temporary access and permanent drainage easement area. And then the red areas are the um, Westar transmission easements. So all of these easements will be dedicated by separate instruments since they are off of the platted property. And staff recommends approval of the preliminary plat for Free State subdivision based on the findings listed in the staff report. 
which takes us to the final portion of this project, the special use permit. And a minor utility that serves more than just one subdivision requires approval of a special use permit. And the special use procedures, they provide a public review and a discretionary approval processes for uses that may have um, operating characteristics or unusual site development features. And this procedure um, is intended to ensure that the proposed special uses will not have a significant adverse impact on surrounding uses or on the community at large. And this substation that's being proposed would replace the existing substation at the corner of 19th Street and Meadowlark Lane, which is KU property located to the southeast. And as I mentioned earlier, the most common impacts with the, these types of special use permits or special uses are traffic and lighting and noise and activity. And in this case, uh, lighting and noise would be the most significant potentials for negative impacts. This is a rendering, 3D rendering that was provided in June of 2021, showing the layout and then the landscaping area between the facility and the residences to the south. And this is a 2022 rendering, just showing the wider landscape area and the additional landscaping. The only exterior lighting that they will be using will be emergency lighting. So this will not be lit except when maintenance is going on at night, emergency maintenance. And they have requested a modification from the lighting standards in the development code so that they can use floodlights um, as this would allow them to be on shorter poles. And so that would require a modification as the development code requires full cutoff lights and the source of the light cannot be visible. And one of the conditions is that a point-by-point -point illumination array be provided so that we can determine for sure that these floodlights would not provide lighting trespass off the property lines and impact the nearby residences. The proposed landscaping exceeds that that we would require for our most intense buffer yard, which is a type three buffer yard um, that would go between an industrial and a residential use. And in, in addition, they are proposing a 10 foot tall stamped concrete wall. And noise is a another impact that we would associate with a substation. And um, with the 2021 staff report, there was an attachment. Staff went out and measured the noise levels of various substations, just to get an idea of how loud are they as a rule. Um, the average sound level for the three substations we measured was 54 decibels. And we took this measurement at the fence for each substation. And these were all chain link fences. And so at that time, staff recommended that a sound study be conducted so that we could ensure when we set a maximum sound level, it would be appropriate for location next to residential properties. And the applicant did conduct a sound study. This graphic on the screen is from that sound study. And that was included as an attachment with the staff report. And the study shows that with the four transformers, the noise level on the south side of the wall would be between 49 and 55 decibels. And it varies from the east to the west, depending on the topography. At the property line, the noise level would be 38 to 42. And that would be in um, area A, 41 to 44 in the area that's B, the next area. The center area, it would be 44 to 47 and 43 to 51 on the west area, and that would be at the property line. 
So based on this sound study, staff recommend setting a maximum sound level on the south side of the wall of 52 decibels. And this would ensure that the sound attributed to the substation would not exceed that shown on the sound study. And the applicant noted in the sound study that the reason for the difference in the sound levels is the topography where the um, facility is lower than the surrounding property, the sound travels better. So where the surrounding properties are lower than the facility, you have better sound protection. And so to get an idea of what 52 decibels would be, this chart is um, online. There's a, several of these and they're very similar, but it shows that if you're 50, that's about the sound of moderate rainfall and 40 would be a quiet library. And 52 would just be a little bit above the moderate rainfall and that would be at the at the south side of the wall and then it should be quieter as it moves away from there so we received several public comments and those were included in your packet and one of the comments we received asked how the sound level would be monitored and what kind of changes could be made to the special use permit without requiring a revised special use permit um, the city operates on a complaint basis as a rule. If a complaint is received that the sound exceeds that permitted in the SUP, city staff would measure the sound level. And if it exceeds the limit, staff would work with Evergy to bring the facility into compliance with the conditions of the SUP. If it isn't possible to bring the sound level into compliance, the applicant could request a revised SUP to change the sound level which would go through the same process as this SUP, or staff could take the special use permit to the city commission for consideration of amending, revoking, or suspending the SUP. And the special use permit is for the use. Changes to the site, which are basically changes to the site plan, can be approved with an amended special use permit site plan with the same special use permit process as the original plan, or minor changes, such as changes of landscaping species, could be approved by the planning director administratively. And the development code has a list of changes which can be processed administratively, and there are very limited range of uses. For instance, buildings could be reduced in size, they could be increased by 500 square feet, um, detached dwellings could be replaced, or parking spaces could be relocated. The only one that would actually apply to this project would be the change of landscaping species. That could be done without having to come back before you. Oh, as I mentioned, there will be a 10 foot stamped concrete wall. And that's where we would be taking these sound measurements at. And then the landscaping would all be on the neighbor's side of this wall. With the facility being moved to the north, as I mentioned, that provides additional area. Um, this shows the landscaping that was originally being proposed, and this is the um, increased landscaping. It has a mostly evergreen species. There's one species of trees that is not evergreen, and there's 10 trees in the buffer yard of that species. So this should be a year-round um, effective screening. Previously, this buffer area was 76 feet wide and 400 feet long, and the revised buffer is about 126 feet wide and 600 feet long. So there were two modifications requested. Uh, one was from the parking requirement. Section 2902 of the development code requires off-street parking for minor utilities. But since this is unmanned and the only visitors to the site would be in their service vehicles, uh, they've requested that that standard be modified so it's not required to have off-site parking or off-street parking. 
and then a modification to the lighting standards um, so that um, full cutoff fixtures are not allowed and they can use the floodlights. And of course, we would look at that point by point illumination array to ensure that that would not create a trespass issue for the neighbors. And the applicant provided materials in response to questions raised at last year's uh, meeting. Uh, one was information related to um, EMF, electromagnetic frequencies. And the information provided shows that there should be no health hazard associated with the substation, associated with EMF. Attachment C contains Evergy's responses to questions raised at the meeting. And one of the questions was why they couldn't use the existing power station at Meadowlark Lane. And um, the applicant noted that this area is only large enough for one transmission line, and they intend to have three at this location, and that the redundancy would increase reliability. There was a concern with the bike path that would occur in this area. Um, they had ideas perhaps using a culvert going under the crossing. And um, with this revision, the applicant provided a drawing of the proposed connection. It would not go under the area. And the city engineer, in accepted it. He indicated that that was acceptable. Uh, the bike path has not yet been constructed and the layout could change, but this uh, design they have would ensure a suitable location for the bike path to cross in the area. The construction is expected to take about two years. Uh, one of the public comments received asked that there be some protection measures in place uh, for the residences during construction, such as establishing operation construction hours. Um, Another property owner requested the establishment of noise levels and an adequate notification if any construction activity uh, were expected to disrupt electricity, internet, or other functioning in the homes. And a construction plan could be developed and provided to the city commission when these items are moved forward, or they could be brought back to the planning commission if you'd like. Um, this plan could include hours of um, construction and notification of any disruption expected to occur from the construction. I believe a noise limit would be difficult to enforce and to measure, and that the setting of operation hours and the use of the city noise ordinance um, should mitigate the impact of the noise. So staff recommends approval of the special use permit with the requested modifications and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings listed in the staff report and subject to the conditions in the staff report with the addition of a construction plan, if the planning commission finds that appropriate, which would set the hours of operation and notification for expected disruptions to household power or internet. And that concludes my presentation. And I believe the applicant is here. So. Yes, thank you, Mary. And will you be taking these in the order? Um, we, yeah, we have an overall, okay. an overall presentation that we'll walk through. Got it for me. Think. Oh, here we got it. Thanks. Good evening and thanks for the opportunity to present. I'm Jana Dawson, I'm with Evergy. We appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to, let us, uh, to let us share our presentation tonight. I have to have the reading glasses on to see the share button, apparently. 
So I'm going to walk through a little bit of an overview for you here at the beginning and then turn things over to Dennis Lawler, our project manager, to take you through some more specific details. But we wanted to come through and provide a little bit of a company overview that explains the context of the project and that our company's strategic plan really has put an emphasis on improving reliability, sustainability, and affordability for the customers that we serve. We're up to now with the, the merger of KCPNL and Westar in 2018. We have a service territory that covers both Missouri parts of Missouri and Kansas and about 1.6 million customers that we serve within that. And we have a, a, about 4,400 megawatts of renewable energy now. So about half the energy that we provide to our retail customers are coming through, through from renewable sources. That's that, that sustainability piece. We have about 10,000 miles of transmission lines and about 52,000 miles of, of distribution lines that feed into neighborhoods um, and about 16,000 megawatts of generation capacity now. So that's where the, the company is size-wise. From a, a generation capacity by fuel type, again, as I mentioned, we are continuing to move away from fossil fuels. That's part of the sustainability portion of our plan. Right now, as I mentioned, we're about half that, that is coming from renewable or emission-free sources with a goal to achieve our net zero carbon emissions by 2045, assuming a favorable regulatory environment and the, the ongoing evolution of technology that enables us to, to make that transition. Our emissions reductions were down about 46% in CO2 emissions since 2005, about 98% in SO2 and 88% in NOx emissions. So again, those are actuals uh, in 2021 versus 2005 levels. And we also have a pretty robust water conservation program that we've put in place where we're, we're recycling and, and returning for downstream use about 281 billion gallons of water with only about 13 billion gallons consumed. So you can see the emphasis on sustainability. When it comes to that, that customer focus, we have been um, managing through the COVID environment like everyone else. We were one of the first companies in the, the nation to put a moratorium on disconnects uh, to help people manage through, through COVID. So we do have that emphasis on customer. And we take you through all of this to really help emphasize the, the commitment that we have to the stakeholders who we work with and the residents who depend on us for the electricity that they need to power pretty much everything that they do. We're coming back in with, um, with giving campaigns and donations to the community and also uh, an emphasis on economic development projects, such as the, the, um, the project with Panasonic that we know is going into the DeSoto plant. Those are the kinds of things that we work on as a company to help grow our communities. So as far as the project process overview for this particular process or this particular project, we'll take a look at, we wanted to give you a, a quick overview of how this all fits together within the, the framework. So we generate the power at the power plants. We have transmission lines that take it from the power plants to substations where the power is stepped down to where it can be delivered other places within the distribution system. So the distribution lines are kind of like the feeder lines into the neighborhoods that then go to the service lines that connect to your house. So in this particular case, we're talking about a transmission line, a large, large lines that come into this substation that help power a, a large portion of the Lawrence community. And as we go through projects like this, from a stakeholder engagement standpoint, we come in and we do a route study and selection before we ever build anything. We, we take time to do a, the study and selection. We go through and acquire any easements that we need to do. We come in with community engagement opportunities and open houses where we visit with residents. We take the surveying and soil and boring sampling. 
line engineering, right-of-way preparation, construction, and then at the end, right-of-way restoration to be sure that we're good neighbors and we leave things in as good of, as condition or better than what we started. And in this particular case, when we're talking about a substation, these sites require large areas of land that can be accessed for maintenance and, and connected to the local power grid. And that's why we need a little bit more space than what we were talking about over on the Meadowlark side. We need more room to be able to access. And it can be especially challenging to find places in urban areas where we're coming back in and replacing aging infrastructure to be sure that we're developing the grid and making it ready for the future. And that's why this site is particularly ideal for what we're talking about. And when I'm talking about enabling for the future, what we're talking uh, about with this is, is being able to deliver the, the power that our, all of our stakeholders need. And we come in and look at stakeholder needs and talk about, in this case, neighbors, businesses, the community, local leaders, our regional customers, our regular regulators and our employees all feed into the stakeholder engagement that we, we take a look at. In this case, we have had the, the adjacent neighbors who we've visited with, Lawrence residents, the Lawrence and Douglas County businesses who need a robust system to, to enable delivery of their service, including putting in the, the type of infrastructure that allows us to connect distributed distribution into the grid as more as we have ongoing renewables added to the grid. We want to make sure that we're modernizing the grid to be able to take care of that. The University of Kansas community leaders and customers across the region, since these are transmission lines that feed a, a broader swath. In this particular case, we hosted a neighborhood open house April 7th. We had about 30 people attend that. We also have a very robust stakeholder engagement tracking system at Evergy, where we enter in every stakeholder engagement that we have for a particular project. And for this one, we have about a thousand entries in that system of stakeholders who we've had contact with over the life of the project. So as far as the benefits go with this, again, we're strengthening electric reliability with this new modern substation being needed to meet growing community and regional needs. So this is for the Lawrence community at large for reliable electricity and replacing that aging infrastructure. We're strengthening the regional power grid as we continue to grow and have other projects that come in. The demand for energy will be changing and we wanna make sure that we're able to support those additional renewable energy resources. And then we're preparing for future growth in the area. And these lay the foundation for that reliable, affordable, and sustainable power grid and, and to provide safe energy for the customers and communities in the long term. It'll allow us to serve those future um, homes and businesses now well into the future. As was mentioned in Mary's presentation, one of the pieces of this that's key is that we right now have two transmission lines and, and it's, there's more opportunity for if we had a store a major storm that it would take out power for a large section of the community in this area when we have three lines running in it allows for additional redundancy so that we can reroute power on the different transmission lines to ensure that we're still able to deliver power when we do have an issue so having that redundancy is a benefit to the broader community and to the neighborhoods and and the way that the lines run we're talking about benefits for the Lawrence community at large. And then again, building the free state, free state substation allows for the existing transmission line and substation to be removed. So the transmission lines that are in the neighbor's backyard right now will go away. That'll go down to, to smaller distribution poles. And then the substation that requires the trucks to be going into that residential neighborhood, that can be, that can be removed. And we'll have this one where we have the access through the KU property. So we wanted to go through and, and give you that 
overview that can kind of set the context for that reliability, sustainability, affordability piece that we're looking at. And so with that, I'll turn it over to Dennis to go through the project details. Thank you, Ms. Dawson. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Mary kind of talked on it a little bit, but the existing substation we have today is too small for future reliability for a robust system. We're landlocked, we need to expand. We need to put a little bit more equipment in it and we can't expand where it's at. So one of the questions that came up is why, where we're at. Well, we always go look for someone that's willing to sell us a piece of property. And some of the criteria that we have is by existing transmission line, if at all possible, and a willing landowner. So when we approached KU Endowment, the property that they had offered us to buy was where we're at today. A lot of folks have said, why can't you just expand where we're at? When we talked to KU Endowment, they have a 10-year plan. They have a, a use in that 10-year plan for that particular area. So that was not available to us to purchase. The area that we're at today is where we were able to purchase. That's why we did what we did at that site. Um, so we did have, like Janice said, took a lot of public information. We reached out to communities, we reached out, we had some Zoom meetings, which we'll go through in a minute about the details of that. But more importantly, we wanna know, we listened to them. We listened to everybody that visited with us. So um, per our public site evaluations and talking to the landowners and the adjacent folks that live there and the resident, we did, we, we purchased 2.34 acres additional um, to move our substation north. We, uh, we also performed a sound study Again, that was over and above the requirement, but we felt it was the right thing to do for the community. So that's what we did. And we'll go through those details in a minute. We added a fire truck uh, lane on the south side of the substation, as Mary pointed out in her presentation. We added additional 79 plantings on the south side as part of the landscape plan as well. More than the, the planning department recommended, but we thought it was the right thing to do. The other thing we did in terms of our drainage is we made sure that all the drainage would stay on our property. So we added a berm. Oops. Wrong way. Sorry about that. Oh, there we go. Sorry. We added a berm to make sure that all the water would stay on our property. That way we would drain into the stream down on the east side of the property. And then um, that would help us. And then we also would be able to adjust the equipment of the, of the existing sub, uh, substation to move it to the new substation. But we wanted to make sure we listened to everybody's comments and we wanted to implement that in our plan. And I kind of talked about this already, but the existing location was not feasible to expand. We couldn't add more equipment in it. We couldn't expand the land. So it just didn't, wasn't feasible in terms of where we're at today. If we tried to expand that area, even though we can't, I mean, we'd take out a lot of trees, be a lot of fill, even if that was an opportunity. But again, that was not um, an option to us. So, and I talked about this already, what the meter substation was. So, um, one of the questions, so what I would like to do is, as we got feedback from the, the, the public, I would like to address them in, in one by one, kind of like Mary did in her presentation. So one of the questions that came out is access to while we're building the substation. Mary pointed out, we will have a construction lane from uh, Bob Billings to the substation site. We won't have to go through residential areas to actually construct the substation. The, uh, and the permanent road will be the Westbrook Road on the east side of the substation. So we're not gonna have to go through the residential area again to access when we do have maintenance folks go out there every once in a while to maintain that substation. Mary pointed out the concrete wall will be 
surrounding of the, of the uh, substation. It'll be 10 foot high, nine, 10 foot high concrete wall that will surround the substation on all four sides. And then a gate on the east side. Um, there will be three steel poles inside the substation, last bolt. There will be three poles inside the substation about 65 feet high. And that was the original design as well. Um, one of the questions was, what's these steel poles gonna look like when we're done? The steel poles will be on Castle. There will be in, in a, on, on the south side of the substation, but they'll be about 75 or 70 feet in height. Um, again, it's all about reliability for a robust system. So we wanna make sure that we, we are sound in terms of where we build these. The, uh, the four existing uh, transmission structures on the south side of the substation, we will actually cut off the top and leave the distribution below. So it'll stay about 20 to 35 feet. So we'll actually be removing some of the transmission structures on the south side of the substation where our, our land or new trees will go into. The other question was, um, will there be any uh, sulfur hexafluoride in our, in our lines? And the answer is that there will not be. It's bare conductor and there will not be any uh, sulfur hexafluoride on our lines. Um, again, an overview of the, uh, of the, of our, layout so the, the this is the construction line that will the path we'll use these are the, the uh, transmission structures that we will top the poles off of we will have the red line will be the new transmission line that we will build to get in and out of this new substation so we'll have the red line here that that'll be a new transmission line and there'll be a line here from the northwest part of our property over to castle we'll probably have to replace two of these three of these structures along castle um, on the east side of the road. Again, a rendering of what it looks like um, when we're all said and done. And this is the layout of the structure of the substation when we're all said and done. Again, with landscape, um, and then access from the east, uh, we'll have a, a road coming in from the east. So that's how we'll access, access a, a substation. So one thing I wanted to put together was lane owner notification. So just to lay out what our process was, did we notify anybody? How do we notify folks? So um, if you look at the first letter that, apologize, I got to put my glasses on. Uh, January 25th to 21 is when we sent out the first notification letter to any lane owner 400 feet of the property. And then May 6th, we, uh, we, did, we did a Zoom meeting, an invitation to a Zoom meeting that we held on May 18th of 21. And then in May of 20, May 24, we, may, uh, we mailed that letter to, uh, to all the landowners. And then we sent in May, uh, September of 21, we sent an updated letter saying, hey, we're working on this on the updates to comments that you provided back to us, to let them know that we're still working on it. So the communication went out. And then we sent another one out in November of 21 because we're still working on it. We had to purchase, uh, again, the, we had to move the land north, so we had to buy more land. We had to redesign the substation. So we wanted to make sure it was right before we finalized and went forth. And then we sent a land, uh, um, a landowner's 400 feet about an open house. And uh, we held that open house on April 7th. So in all in all, we had uh, by phone, we contacted about 400 residents. We emailed about 60 in person, less than 80, and then others being text, whatever the case may be. The other thing I want to, to highlight is we are not required to go door to door 
what we did. We wanted to make sure folks knew about it. We, we brought a door, knocked on the door, visited with them. So that was uh, something that we did over above because we wanted to make sure they knew what was going on. And they, we, we were communicating with the landowners. And then this is the construction schedule. So hopefully we'll start this, hopefully tonight we'll get a vote and then we'll start construction the fall, this fall. And then next year we'll start with the, uh, the substation itself and the transmission line, finish it in 24, and then 25 we'll remove the, uh, the KU West Campus substation. Um, so a couple of questions that came up that's in your pack as well is how are we gonna uh, maintain? So some of the existing trees that are south of the substation will have to be trimmed and removed during construction. Again, we're gonna replant a lot of those. The, uh, um, we tried to make sure as we develop our transmission line, we make sure it's least impactful to the community. And that's what we did on this particular project. So we tried to make sure that when we look at the transmission line, look at what's going on, try to remove the least amount of vegetation. But some will be trimmed and some will be removed. Landscape plan, again, it's, it's pretty robust. We, we spent a lot of time looking at it, enhancing it. Um, a couple of questions that came up is what trees we're gonna plant. And again, we wanted to make sure that they'd be um, all year long so they could be um, indigenous. So that way people would look out the wet window. If they wanted to, they could see the wall of the trees. It'll be no different than firstly, like it is today in terms of we'll have a lot of trees back there, especially if you go up by the library, where we, we, the trees were planted up there. The uh, um, one of the questions that came out is how are you going to maintain this, this area? Um, I'm, I'm, we, we're not going to use herbicides, we're not going to use pesticides, it'll be mowed or weed-eated with a mower. So that was another question that came out. And again, this, the staff has reviewed the landscape plan and they've approved the landscape plan. Trail concept. So we went through the process again. Um, I'm not sure. So the original idea was we'd build a big culvert and then maybe make that part of our path going through the culvert to their side. Went through the planning process, visiting with folks. That wasn't such a good idea publicly. So we came back and we actually redid the grade. So now we got the approval where the, our grade matches. So if they want to go forth and move and, and build a, a pipe path north, they're able to do that through our entrance. Whereas before it was too, the grade was too, uh, too steep of a slope. So you couldn't, well, we did, we did the grading. So now if they want to continue north with the bike path, they have the ability to do that. Stormwater drainage, that was another concern people had was that we were going to force water, especially the folks that live south of the substation. We redid our drainage plan to make sure that all the sheet flow water stays on our property. Um, the, the city planner, uh, stormwater engineer has reviewed our plans, has approved our plans. Um, in terms of uh, going forth. The, the big thing we did was we did add a berm to make sure that water stayed on our property. Another question that was asked is about environmental impact statement. We did conduct an environmental impact statement and the opinion of the environment professional that said that no further uh, investigation needs to be done at this time. So that was done as part of the process. Groundways, uh, one of the public meetings we had, or the last public meeting, open house we had, came up about groundways. They're concerned about groundways from the transmission, uh, the transformer that we have. We have had no issues ever that we know of internally of ever having any ground 
uh, waves or issues related to ground waves. We, we operate hundreds of substations across a territory. And again, nothing has ever been found that's been an issue regarding ground waves. Um, the substation is, is built, the transformer is built on a, a very thick slab of concrete. All the, um, the breakers, most of the equipment that is heavy will be on concrete pads. So again, the, the, the ways that we've had, we've never, we have water lines, we have storm sewer lines going by a lot of our substations. We've never had any reported issue of any of those cracking or failing due to um, ways. The home values came up in terms of the, uh, you build a substation, my home value is gonna go down. Um, the Douglas County appraiser noted that the studies we've done on similar situations, there's been no detect of significant impact on the property values. And the, and the staff also reviewed that and they said no information is available, which would indicate that the location of the substation would not neg negatively impact the value of other properties in the neighborhood. Selling towers, can we put sell, uh, sell antennas towers or towers on our substation? And the answer is no. If we're, and we're concerned about if we did anything like that and they fell down into our equipment, there's a good chance of causing damage to our equipment, causing outages, things that we don't want to have happen. So we're not, we do not allow any antennas, anything like towers on top of our substation walls. One of the questions that was asked was, um, what equipment do you have in the substation? So we made a list of the equipments that we have in there. And the only equipment that we, uh, the breakers, again, was one of the reasons we needed a new substation. They do cause a big clunk. However, it's several thousand. It's if only if it's ever a, a huge storm, I'd say majority of our systems never have had it. Some of them had a few, but it doesn't happen very often. But that would be the only thing that would be for the breaker. So the question that came up about sound. So we did go out and hire and did a sound study for uh, this particular substation. And as Mary mentioned, the, when we discussed it with the, plan, uh, the city planner, with, with Mary, we recommended 55 uh, de um, decibels. She came back as a, as a group and said, I prefer uh, that we recommend uh, 52. So we said, that's fine, we will do 52. So I felt that was a good negotiation based on the recommendation. Uh, the other piece of equipment that may potentially cause noise besides the transformer is it called a power control center. It's a PCC. It's a it's a virtually a 20 foot by 10 foot wide building, Morton building, more or less. If you look at it, they do have air conditioners in them. So it'd be a, just because in summertime you want to keep it cool because folks have to go in there and work. So it would be an air conditioner and uh, 62.3 decibels is what would be the, out, the outside reading of those. Uh, control buildings, and that's 10 feet from it. That's still inside the wall of the substation. The other thing um, that we decided to look at was transmission line itself. Does it cause uh, noise? So the, uh, the thing that's called is called corona noise. Usually it's based on the voltage of that line. This is gonna be at 115. 115 does not cause those corona noises. A 345 kilovolt line, yes, you would hear something from a 345 line, but from a 115, you will not hear anything like that. So the noise would be insignificant in terms of the transmission or the transmission line that we're proposing to put in those red lines on the on the map I provided. Um, 
And the other thing about this one, since we're actually moving the transmission lines farther away from the houses, because we're going to remove the south side part of those, we're only have one line, probably two poles on the east side will actually be less transmission lines near the substation, near the houses. Okay, and that was just, again, to talk about what, so um, in terms of the actual decibels, I just wanted to, the chart that was in your packet, just kind of want to use that for comparison. EMF, that's another uh, topic that came up in terms of will it cause any potential health effects. Um, there's been lots of studies. Um, you can Google, you can uh, Google the internet, you can find multiple studies in terms of does it cause harm. We, you, you can find some in 2002, I think it was, or 14 or 12, I'm sorry, 2012, it says yes, it potentially can in California. Um, we have not had any, um, in terms of any issues like that with our system at all. We, have you measured it? We have a gigameter that we actually can go out and test and, and measure the lines. So we actually, um, Fairgrounds substation, which is on the east side of town, we actually went out, uh, one of our engineers went out and did that. He. Uh, he measured it and it was right at 11 uh, megagauss uh, mega in terms of the, uh, the standard. Um, for, uh, Kansas doesn't have a standard for EMFs, but Florida does. And they said nothing more than 150 megagauss. And again, what we got was nine and 11 at the substations um, over on fairgrounds, which would be similar to this one. So again, um, that, so again, that's, that's, we are not, we feel like we're very, uh, stewards of that. So again, we have, uh, submitted, hopefully I kind of went through what you already have in your packet to answer some of your questions. And again, I do appreciate your time tonight and we weren't happy to answer any questions. We're asking for a vote tonight of, so we can move forward just because, as Jana said, we have a service territory. We're required by law to provide electricity in our service territory. We've had a lot of folks kind of figure out what would be the best place, especially for Lawrence, because of the robust system. Um, the uh, um, the, the inf in, uh, infield development that's going to occur, the potential of folks want to have more um, electric vehicles. They want to put power uh, station in their houses. They're, uh, is going to grow. I mean, we've already grown over the fat last five years. It's grown. It's going to continue to grow. So that's really what our, our we're here today to be stewards of what we've been asked to do. And so that's why, again, I just asked for a vote tonight. Any questions? Thank you. Is there, was there um, any other speaker for Evergy? That's it. Okay. Thank you. So we're going to move on to public comment now. And as I mentioned, I've extended each individual's comment period to four minutes. But I do want to take a check of the commission since we have a number of people um, who will be commenting tonight. Do we need a break before we head into public comment? Yeah. Just to, OK, we're going to take just a five minute break. What time is it? 7.45, um, 7.50, just before we get started on that possibly long discussion. So thanks. 
seats. And uh, just before we open public comment, remember we have four minutes each and please pay attention to the time. Um, I will ask you to wrap up at four minutes uh, because we have a number of people who wanna speak. And so please don't take it personally, but I will ask you to, to wrap up at four minutes. Um, and please, if you do have questions rather, I mean, you can ask the questions to the commission rather than directly um, to other people, and we will try to make sure we get those questions answered, um, whether they're to staff or to Epergy. All right. Okay. So um, if you have a comments in person, if you step up, step up to the podium and state your name, and we'll start public comment. Who would like to go first? Is there no one in the room that would like to speak? Okay, well, then I guess we will go to the online commenters. Let's see. Um, Miriam Kane, please. Well, my name is Miriam Kane. My family has lived on West 19th Street for over 38 years as of June of this year. I live across the street from the house whose backyard is a proposed substation site. That very site uh, debunks the statement of not disrupting the neighbors. Why is, why is it necessary to build in an established neighborhood? Aren't there other sites that could be upgraded or improved? And I think that question has been answered, but that is one of the questions we were asking. And why on this section of fields? I did attend the April 7th open house and all of the neighbors who attended with me got several different answers. What guarantee do we have if this uh, proposal is passed that more of the same will not happen with non-answers? Thank you. Thank you. Um, can I have somebody else online that would like to raise their hand either electronically or just Charles Walter, please. You're still on mute. I'm sorry. Out of practice. Uh, my name is Charles Walter. I live uh, on West 19th Street at 3114. Uh, we'll be looking directly at this, this thing. A um, couple of big complaints that we have. We're opposed to every, every aspect of this. Um, obviously, use electricity as is evidenced by this. But um, just because this is the only piece of land that KU would sell them is not a reason to put something that's an industrial site in residential areas. Uh, the sites that we were given to compare to are in the industrial park uh, in East Lawrence, and then one at 83rd and Mize in Overland Park, uh, where the neighbors were very unhappy uh, for a lengthy amount of time, and, and, and that's an issue. Um, I thought it was interesting that we did not see in the maps uh, shown tonight the existing site at 19th and Meadowlark that is proposed to be closed. If you go east of that, then you can find uh, a significant amount of area that this could have been put on. Yes, KU wouldn't sell them that. Um, I don't think there's a rush to vote tonight. That bugs me a little bit as well. 
Um, they've been working on this project since about 2015 uh, when they purchased the house on Castle. So I think that, that make sure that as commissioners, you go through your packets and you look at all the information before you be rushed into a vote this evening. Uh, we do maintain that this will um, decrease our property values. To the, the argument to the contrary uh, was brought up tonight. That's the first I've seen that. I know that we have submitted a variety of, of documents to your packets that indicate that it does. Uh, anecdotally, we are seeing people move out of the neighborhood uh, and it just doesn't happen. People don't, I mean, people get sick or get old and age out, but we haven't had a lot of people move out until the last couple of years. Um, we've lived here 27 years across the street from Merriam. So, um, I don't think that we're in a need for a rush. Uh, it's also my understanding that they are building this a little bit bigger than needed for projected growth after the switch or whatever wears out in its projected life of 50 years. Um, I think that you build what you need, make it as if you build it, and you should not put this here. Uh, then build exactly what you need and nothing more, and then we'll reassess it then. Um, what else did I have? Um, the meeting with the neighbors and some of those things. Yeah, you've got thousands of communications or whatever you said. Yeah, uh, an awful lot of them were, please don't put that here. Com type communications. Those are what we've sent. Uh, so I think that uh, I think that's an issue for us. One of the final things that I think I'm going to go into is um, when we asked about the maintaining of the buffer yard, you know, I'm less concerned about, you know, mowing and weed whacking than I am about if the trees die. Um, you know, if you build this thing and you should not, then when those trees die, who is responsible for that? It's, I'm gathering that the city operates on a complaint system. So if trees die, we have to complain to the city. Um, if the, this cracked me up, I know this was new information to me tonight as well if they're out of compliance with whatever conditions are put on the special use permission permit, then they can just ask to revisit those. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's kosher. I don't like that. So uh, Charles Walter, I'm opposed to this project and um, put it somewhere else. Thank you, Mr. Walter. Would anybody else like to speak? <clears throat> I'm surveying the crowd. Uh, Robert Dixon, please. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm Tom Dixon. I live at 3204 West 19th Street on lot 44, which backs up to the Cave Endowment land purchased by Everbridge. I've lived there for 44 years. When Everbridge first notified our neighborhood of their plans, the map they supplied showed a substation with four transformers. My thoughts at the time were that they needed to increase the number of distribution lines for construction in the area. Now I'm gonna give you what I've heard at the different meetings, including the latest meeting at Aterra. Um, since the residential properties are all developed, that could only mean development of the KU West campus. But Evergy has continued to say that the purpose is primarily for the city of Lawrence and KU is only part of the need. In fact, they say they have no knowledge of the plans KU may have for any of the West Campus. When I ask about- 
expansion of the innovation part by KU Endowment that was announced in the journal World, the representative said they had not heard about that expansion. The noise level map shown at the informational meeting at Aterra showed only one transformer. It did not show noise coming from the additional shed that's, that's there with the HVAC system, which is very loud. If you go out to the O'Connell Road substation, you will hear that. It's as loud as the transformer. So it should have been included in the noise study, even though it's not on 24-7, as they said. Um, when I ask about the uh, noise level, when you put all four transformers in the station, I was told that Average only plans to install one transformer. No additional transformers would be needed for at least 50 years. Since the existing West Campus substation already has one transformer, I asked why a new substation with only one transformer would be needed. And the representative said Evergy wanted to add switches to connect the transmission line that runs north-south on Castle with the transmission line that runs east-west on 19th Street. So it appears that Evergy has purchased 9.57 acres of KU endowment land plus a residential lot on Castle so they can add a switch to the grid. That seems excessive. In fact, I don't think Evergy needs any KU endowment land to add a switch. Why not install the switch where the two transmission lines already intersect? That location is just south of the water tower where Evergy already owns a residential lot and the lot just to its north appears vacant and could be purchased to provide a flat area where the least amount of new wiring would be involved. If that site is unsuitable for some engineering or city ordinance reason, then I suggest that the West 19th transmission line, which is proposed to be removed, simply be repurposed to connect the castle line to the West Campus substation area where the new switching could be installed. We were told that the West 19th Street transmission would be removed and the poles cut to a shorter height. So I'm just suggesting repurpose it. Both options would eliminate the need for the free station substation and the need for a new 50 foot wide easement for a power line north of the water tower to connect the castle transmission line to the new free state substation with the cutting of trees and the installation of 70 foot tall steel power poles. Um, that's basically what I had. Thank you, Mr. Dixon. Can I have another hand of anybody who would like to speak online at this point? Yes, Jeanette Walther, please. Hi, I'm Jeanette Walther, uh, also at 3114 West 19th. Uh, I'll be looking at uh, this behemoth from every window on the north side of my house, uh, including my kitchen window, if it gets built, which it shouldn't. And um, I kind of don't know where to begin. A year ago, more than a year ago, the, um, the Planning Commission stated that Evergy should meet with the neighbors to discuss the co following concerns. The property values, noise mitigation, bike path, buffer yards, impact of EMFs, and suitability of location. Well, um, I and my fellow neighborhood association members and all of our neighbors waited to be reached by Evergy. We, again, this is, not our, this is not our day job. This is not what we do. We're not familiar. Um, yeah, we've learned a lot, but there's a lot we still don't know about the processes and procedures of these things. And we waited for Evergy to reach out to us. We thought everything would happen a lot faster, and it never did. And 
we talked to each other and I contacted planning and uh, Mary Miller and said, we haven't heard from Evergy, what should we do? And shortly after that, we got the letters that Evergy referred to that they um, reached out to us. Um, but I'm pretty sure that that was after we were trying to contact them, but I know that counts into their thousands of um, contacts. It's great. Um, with the negative effects on property values, I echo um, what else has been said. We have submitted um, documentation and articles and um, studies that show that people don't pay as much for properties near mm -hmm. substations and power lines. Uh, the noise mitigation, something said during the June meeting made us nervous that, that Evergy is not using the most modern, current, high-tech technology to mitigate everything that would be, be detrimental to neighbors. Um, something an Evergy person said made it seem like they weren't using the the best technology available, but they could. So we don't have the, the knowledge to, to look at what they're putting on this to know that it's the best technology for decreasing the noise impact. Um, and speaking of noise impact, all of the sound studies refer to how loud things are, such as vacuums, such as dishwashers, such as whatever. Would any of you have your dishwasher or vacuum or microwave running 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No. So I think it's an interesting comparison to talk about the decibel levels of things that shut off. You know, <laughs> um, this will be making a noise 24 seven. And for me, that's a big impact on the quality of life. Uh, the buffer yard conditions. Again, we want, we need more uh, commitment that they will be taken care of. Uh, I, I recall that was a big issue at the 83rd and Mize substation and that maybe lawsuits were had about not taking care of and still being able to see the substation when the neighborhood thought they wouldn't have to. Um, the electromagnetic fields, um, I issued a statement on that, that deep reading into the article that they sent us did not make me feel any better about them. Uh, the article still suggests that there's could be some connection between childhood leukemia albeit low, I'd rather have zero. Um, and it also mentioned that it might impact sleeping, which uh, sounds terrible to me. Uh, the suitability of location. Of course, we're gonna ask, as Mary showed in her maps, there is a lot of land and they are putting this right next to our houses. Um, that I want to know how close any other substation this size is to other people's houses. Um, exact measurements, just like our exact measurements. Uh, they Evergy seems to have some other uh, things Small going on. I could ask you to wrap up, please. Okay. Um, they seem to have a lot of uh, facilities going in around the state, and I wonder if those facilities are going to be that close to houses. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, Carrie Smelzer, I've seen a, a note pop up that she has her hand raised, but I don't see anything on the screen, maybe by phone. I keep seeing that name. Yeah. Pop up. Can you hear oh. me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is my husband, Mark Smelzer. Uh, no, you're you're breaking up. Okay. 
Are, is this working now? Yes. Yes, the audio is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, this is Mark Smelser and also Carrie Smelser on a shared connection. Um, I'm sorry for poor communication, but we are on vacation and and I have COVID brain right now. So I'll try to get one point across that um, just we think that this substation is much too large to be in a residential area. Um, four transformers is larger than the anything we've seen and the current substation in East Lawrence is only two, uh, two transformers and that's for an industrial area. And so does, why is there a possible need for double that in the middle of town, uh, even considering the expansion that KU plans? We just, uh, number one, we don't think it should be built here, but we would uh, like to see it be uh, just one transformer and decrease the footprint because it is a very large uh, amount of ground that they're gonna tear up for this project. And that's all for me. Thank you, did, yeah. Did Carrie has a wish? Yes, I would like to speak. Thank you. I apologize about the connection. We're in a little hotel room in the middle of Washington trying to sign on. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to uh, the precedent for putting a substation in a residential area. Um, we asked about this at the meeting last year, um, and Evergy spoke of the substation that's already been referred to at 83rd and Mize. Um, as being a precedent for placing a substation in an already developed residential neighborhood, years of construction, all that stuff. Um, so we were curious. We went over and talked to a whole bunch of neighbors and around the 83rd and Mine station. Um, to start with, uh, there was a lot of deception going on in about half with realtors and all sorts of stuff. And half the neighborhood did not know about the substation going in as their, as their homes were being built. So it, it was not necessarily a precedent. There were a lot of upset neighbors. Um, what we found out, uh, just looking around, this substation has one transformer. Uh, the closest neighbor is approximately 200 feet away. The substation that Evergy is currently proposing in our backyard is 126, I believe I heard now. Um, what we heard from the neighbors, uh, it was built about 11 years ago now, approximately. Um, Evergy put in no sound mitigation and all their trees died in the first year. Uh, the neighbors spent years and years going back to uh, the, the city um, to try to try to get this corrected, it was a, a fight, um, not not just temporarily, but long term. Um, a, a side note regarding that is many neighbors uh, did speak to having moved in after the substation was built because they got a great value for their money next to the substation, um, despite the studies that Evergy has presented. Um, so 
I want to ask what what is the precedent for building in an established neighborhood um, for transformers? It's it's a little excessive. It's bigger than in the industrial park. What what is this really really for? Is this really for the the people and neighborhoods of Lawrence that we need to be burdened with it? Um, and also. Um, based on the experience of the people in Lenexa at 83rd and Mize, um, we, we want to make sure that um, every condition is uh, placed on every day to hold them accountable to their landscaping plan, their um, upkeep, um, sound, uh, looks, everything, if this goes in. Um, I also think obviously as has been said by most of the neighbors that uh, there should be a limit on the number of transformers put here as they are trying to zone residential. Um, also, uh, Evergy has a lot of space uh, in these walls and outside of these walls that is their land that is not being used. And I would like to inquire of them what all that extra, extra space is for above and beyond four transformers. Um, so to sum it up, what's what's the precedence, um, and why why an industrial size substation in a neighborhood? Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Smelzer. We have another hand raised, uh, Michael Alman. Hi, good evening. My name is Michael Alman with the Sustainability Action Network. Um, our comments this evening are addressing specifically the plat the revised preliminary plat. And uh, I'm gonna share my screen if I could. There you can see the agenda item report that we submitted about this item. Um, hearing Mary Miller's comments and presentation this evening, I'm slightly revising what we wrote in this uh, report. Uh, we still are recommending denial of the plat, um, but for slightly different reasons. Um, the Atchison Creek Trail is the only missing segment of an important north-south bicycle transportation corridor. It extends from the Lawrence Loop in the north to the Lawrence Loop in the south. It's a segment that parallels the creek and that's been shown in the KU Master Plan since 2014 and the Lawrence Bikes Plan since 2018. It's a very important bikeway transportation uh, corridor. Um, Evergy uh, last year uh, in June of, at the Planning Commission, uh, Dennis Lawler basically made verbal commitments to accommodating this trail. Uh, he said, there are some options there we definitely can go back and look at. And we more than be happy to look at that and address that. Um, what they apparently have done with this year's application is submitted this map, which uh, theoretically designs an alignment for the bicycle trail from the north across their access road and then connecting with this trail through the Pepper Tree apartments. That's all good and fine except they, uh, they did not submit this as part of their plat application. It's not in your packet. 
Mary Miller referred to it in her presentation. Dennis Lawler flashed it by you on the fly quickly in his presentation, but you haven't had a chance to look at it. That's a problem. An informal app exhibit like this is not a legal instrument for a permanent easement. Mary Miller said that outside of the actual property that Evergy owns, there are several permanent easements dedicated by separate legal instruments. And these would be for things such as their access road, for the drainage, uh, and also for transmission lines. These are all permanent uh, easements dedicated by legal instruments worked out with KU Endowment. They have done nothing of the kind for this bikeway access easement. That's the problem that we're addressing here. So our revised recommendation therefore is denial of the preliminary plat until a permanent access easement is dedicated by a separate legal instrument for the Atchison Creek bikeway to traverse the site access road. It needs to get across this access road, which is a 15 foot high berm. And this informal map could be thrown in the trash can after the meeting tonight. It needs to be dedicated with a legal instrument. That's the point we need to make and we appreciate your time and consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Allman. I'm gonna turn back to the room here to see if there's any comment now that has surfaced from anybody in the, any public comment from people in the room. No? Um, okay, anybody else online? Oh yes, please go ahead, sir. My name is Chris Berger. I'm an attorney here in town. I actually represent Evergy in this matter. Uh, point needs to be emphasized that Evergy doesn't have the discretion to decide to whom or how electricity is made available. It's given a, a franchise, so to speak, by the state of Kansas and is legally obligated to provide electricity. It also is obligated to make certain that the demands of the community are addressed and that development is allowed. And if you look at 2040, if you look at what the demands of this community have been, they have been for increased infill. They are for a push toward EV. They are also for a push uh, away from other types of energy and directing it all toward electricity. It all happens through transmission lines that come down into substations. The substation has been determined to be the best location for the needs of this community. And that's been done through the engineers who are both in-house at Evergy, all of whom can speak to this from actual engineering backgrounds, people who have been hired through PE firms who are placing their licenses and seals on these requirements and that the necessity of this particular location uh, from their actual engineering backgrounds experience. Now, what has been done from Evergy, they could probably come in and simply say, we've just made that decision and this is how it's gonna go forward. But that's not the sort of company that Evergy is, nor is that what they've presented to you. It has taken a year with COVID, with planning, with additional purchases of real estate, all to accommodate the people and, the, and what has been communicated to them in the meeting last year, in other conversations, in door-door visits. And while we cannot accommodate 
don't build it. We have been able to accommodate relocating the substation 42 feet. And that's not just a cut and paste job. That's a completely re-engineered system based off of topography and everything involved. You don't just slide it. This is a serious redevelopment that took place. The, the discussion on the bike path, that's been fully accommodated. And I'll just remind um, this commission that it is actually unconstitutional to require a benefit for a general community that is not associated with a specific need or use of a particular permit or plan. Uh, that's referred to as, as a taking, even if you can call it regulatory, but it is unconstitutional and illegal. But despite that, they redesigned the way that everything was graded so that it would be fully usable and fully accessible uh, as a bike path. It's not obligated to, nor can it be required to actually get easements from third parties for a use that's not directly attached to this substation. They all, we can... We can go through the entire list of all the accommodations that have taken place and all the efforts that have been done. Uh, but practically speaking, you as a commission, as a planning commission, uh, are to look at what is within the code itself. Everything has been satisfied. The city has been satisfied with a utility and with all the plans that it's put forward has recommended approval. We have done everything possible to accommodate all the local citizens and the neighborhood, the community, the county as a whole. And we are asking for a vote tonight and that uh, it be approved. We thank you. Thank you. I'll ask again online or in person. Are there any other people who wish to speak to public comment on this item? I am seeing nobody online, seeing nobody on in person. So I'll bring it back to the commission now for discussion. Thank you all very much. Would anybody, pardon? Take return to the applicant for their portion. Oh, that's right. Forgive me. Yep, oversight. <clears throat> the applicant may now um, speak to that, uh, to, to concerns that were raised by the public. This would be a uh, yeah, sure. five to six minute response. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Casey Colburn, Bartlett and West, um, engineer uh, on record, 3213 West 22nd Terrace, just south of this actually is my home address. Um, so just a few things to hit on here. Um, in the packet, the sound study actually includes the four transformers that was asked for after the last time. So there are two um, exhibits in there. The second one has one or one is one transformer and the other is four because they wanted to see what total build out what that would be. Um, a, just uh, build on the public comment about the bike trail. That property is also all owned by KU and the um, um, <clears throat> are the multifamily apartments to the south. None of that property is owned by Evergy. There's floodplain there. Uh, there's a lot of other things that are federal regulations. They would have to be met. Um, the city asked for, can you connect the dots and make it ADA accessible? So when we come back in the future, your driveway is not 
have to be rebuilt. And so what we did was look at the, I looked at the existing trail, what the elevations were and what our driveway was to show that an at grade crossing could be met and be ADA compliant. There will be grading that needs to be done, but as I said, that trail hasn't been funded. If you go through and try to um, give a easement, if the trail meanders, you're going back and renegotiating those easements. Typically you set an alignment, figure out the grading, and then you negotiate easements through that. So there, we can't really get the cart before the horse on that, um, but we wanted to make sure that in the future, when the trail comes through, that it can go, can make it up and over the access drive and be safe. Um, I think that's kind of the, the two items that were engineering related. Thank you. I'm sure you'll be back up here uh, to answer uh, more questions. Um, so now, forgive me for the oversight, if I bring that discussion now back up to the commission. Who would like to make the opening comment <laughs> or a question? Lots of questions. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, please. Uh, before we start our conversation, I just asked Mary if she threw the three different items that we're going to have to discuss and vote on tonight, just to remind everybody what we're going to consider before we start talking. Yes, yeah, so these comments will be for initial comments for the whole entire package, but we will eventually break it out and discuss each vote for each item. Seven votes. I've got a okay. I've got Commissioner Rexroad. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Start. Mm -hmm. in, no place in particular. Um, uh, for maybe engineering or Bartlett West. I'm not sure. Um, I'm curious to know. Um, I'm thinking about sound. There's a couple different aspects of that, but um, I'm curious to know the elevation of the wall, top of that wall, relative to the neighbors back behind it. As you walk that, there's, of course, a slope there, and it just seems to be all down from where the neighbors are. Are you grading that up? Um, Casey Colburn, Bartlett and West, 3213, West 22nd Terrace. Um, so half, the east half of the site is below the below the main grade of the substation. The middle of it is kind of at the same grade, and then it goes up from there. So some of it is, you know, partially below, some is partially above. The elevation of the substation is also controlled by um, access of what the trucks bring in, transformers, things like that can. Um, the vertical curves that they can go over. If you've ever seen the trucks when they're delivered, our um, transformers when they're delivered. So that kind of set our elevation across that creek. And that's what set the elevation into that, um, into the hill. And we are cutting out, um, we're filling on the east portion, east third, and the west two thirds we're cutting into that hill. Mm -hmm. So there's to get it below grade or below, or, to get it below the houses, you'd be down in the floodplain. So to be super specific, what I'm curious is, is the top of the wall, is that above or below the folks on 19th Street's kitchen windows? Are they looking down into this? Are they looking at a wall? And I'm thinking about both what they see, but I'm also thinking about how we consider sound. We're measuring on the outside of the wall. But mm -hmm. The wall is below where the neighbors are hearing it. I'm not sure that that measure... Um, I do not know. I can look at, I have the plans in front of me. I go back and look to see what the elevations were, but on the West side, yes, you are above it. 
Um, I don't know if you guys can bring the layout drawing up that has the grading on it. Um, but uh, we do have our sound consultant here. We can ask for more. Um, he can come up and provide some more information on that okay. of the being above it and what he took into consideration. Cause I know that we gave him all the um, elevations, the topo and things like that. Right. Would Just you, one more question okay. on a separate subject while we're looking for that elevation. Um, it's uh, thinking about the, uh, the drawing that showed the transmission lines. There was a transmission line that went from the substation um, going to the west mm -hmm. where the water tower. And there's a transmission line that went to the south. Mm -hmm. What is that transmission line running to the south? How is that? What is that connecting to? Where does that terminate? Does that continue on or does it stop there? So the question is, I didn't see anything feeding KU. Um, how are you feeding KU out of this? Oh, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> my PowerPoint back up. I think that might be the. I'll use this map, although it doesn't go quite as far as you're talking about. But your question is, we have this. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe not. Oh, I didn't share. Oh, go ahead. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have access to that. Someone's got it because my mouse is running around. <laughs> you wonder why? I thought, I thought it was me at first. There it goes. Oh, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so, what you're asking is the, the red line here going south out of the substation, right. and what's that connected to? So sitting here today, there's currently a transmission line that goes from Castle over to about where my mouse is, and that's the existing KU West Campus substation. So what that transmission line is connecting to is the existing transmission line that's there today. And then when we get done from this transmission line back west to Castle, our transmission lines all will get topped. They'll be, and I say removed, but the transmission portion will be removed. The distribution portion, 20, 25 feet, will be remained. So what it connects to is the existing transmission line that's there today. So that short southbound red line connects to the distribution setup that's... That's existing today. Gotcha. That's correct. And how about KU? How is KU being serviced out of this? Currently, KU would be um, being serviced out of the KU campus, but it's no different than the residents to the south. I mean, we have distribution lines that come into the substation and it goes out to all, everybody else. So I can't tell you exactly how much is going to KU, how much is going to resident because it's all based on demand. There's no new transmission line running from this substation into KU. That's correct. None. Nothing what you see here is what we're, what we're doing. Gotcha. Nothing else. Okay. Thank you. Nope. Thank you. Let me stop sharing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Casey Colburn, Bartlett West, Commissioner Rexroad. I talked with the sound consultant. Um, if you look at the graphic, if you see that the zones in there, they're not all the exact same in width. It's because the wider ones are on the other side, are on the part where it's above grade. So the elevations are taken into account of those zones. Some places having a wall and some yep. places not. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So thank you for that. No problem. Thank you. Um, Couple, couple yeah. more questions. Uh, the 126 feet is that from the wall to the property line, or is that yes, sir. correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And then uh, somebody mentioned that because the voltage is 115 volts, likelihood of noise is not as high as if it was 345. Could you guys go to 345? I mean, what would be required? Like, would is that is that can that? Sit? It's a great question. No. Um, 
So what, 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 why do we go with 115? Why don't we go to 238? Why don't we go to 345? And the answer is in this system for KU and, and Lawrence and Douglas County, it's 115 is what we're at. That's the system we feed the, the community in Lawrence and Douglas County. Okay. So we would not go to 345. Okay. There'd be, there's backup. I should say never. That's not a true statement. There's no future plans. There's nothing in our, in our 50 year long-term planning in, in Currently, we have that would ever go to anything but 115 in this area. Okay. So I don't want to say never because since I do that, I'm in trouble. But that there's nothing in the planning works to do that. Um, if I might, before another person jumps in, just on the issue of noise, um, I am curious about that 62.3 um, decibels for um, one of the control buildings. So was that not factored in? In the noise, was it just the trans, the one trans, wait a minute, it was four transformers for the noise study. Was that other building factored in? Yeah. Good evening. Uh, Andrew Von Felt with Avon Acoustics. I did the noise study there. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, measurements that we took in November, I believe, of the existing ones would have included whatever was running at the time. Um, I don't know exactly if that mechanical unit was running at the time or not, um, but the basis that we made those graphics off of was from the existing transformer sites as they were operating in November. The existing transformer site, meaning we, that went out at the fairgrounds. Yes, the fairgrounds. Whatever was running us. at that time. Yes. So you don't know if the air conditioning unit. I do not know that. Was there. No. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure there are other noise-related questions from the commission. No. Okay, other questions. <laughs> we'll probably come back to noise, but uh, other questions? Commissioner Carpenter. Okay, let's switch to the topic of property mm -hmm. values. Uh, in Evergy, uh, when you made your presentation, you said that you had heard from the Douglas County appraiser that had an opinion about property values. Did you get anything in writing or was that verbal? And could you describe that conversation? That's actually in the report from the city, uh, Commissioner Carpenter. So you need to ask it's the city. It's in the report? It is. Well, I'm, okay, I must have missed it. Where in the, Mary, where, in, where is that? It was probably in the discussion we had with the county appraiser because we asked him if he could tell us, and I have an email from June of 2021, which I'm going to open. I assume that's where he made his comment. He said, Mary, I can't know what, if any, impact this might have on values. We get this sort of question from time to time. In studies we have done on similar situations, whether it be electric substation, power lines, et cetera, we have not been able to detect a significant impact either for or against it. We cannot be certain of anything until such time that sales occur in that specific area. In most cases, we see very little, if any, difference. The realtors seem to do a good job of marketing. 
So short answer after all of that, I do not know if the new substation will have a substantial detrimental effect on values in that immediate area. All right, thanks. Well, that, that sounds like the usual, we don't know from the county appraiser. So it's, it's not specifically saying one way or the other. Um, I'm just gonna say when we were working on the solar regulations, we tried to get an answer about solar facilities and we got the same non-answer. So <laughs> I'm not gonna put much value on that. It is what somebody's willing to pay for a, a property. Um, I will go back though to the original application that was submitted prior to the June 2021 Planning Commission meeting, the Evergy's original application cited that they had a study that showed that there was no impact on property values. And in fact, sometimes there was an increase in value. At the June 2021 meeting, I asked if they had a copy of that. And if we came back, if they provide that, has that been provided? I'm Matt Armfield, uh, real estate project manager for Evergy. So, so we don't have a formal study. If if we said that, we misspoke. We what we've done. There's three substations we've built in the last 12, 14 years in existing residential neighborhoods. If anyone's familiar with the Sherwood Lake area of Topeka, it's on the west side of town very affluent neighborhood. Uh, we built a substation and there's homes that back right up to it. The development was half done. They fully developed out. And so all we've done, we did that at the Sherwood substation in Manhattan on Seth Child Road. We built a substation. It was across the street from homes, but in a residential area. And then the 87th Street sub which has been referenced at 87th and Mize in Johnson County. So what we did is we, we just went in and we looked at the county appraised values. We just, it's more of a data collection. We looked at the county appraised values before of all the homes, not all, but every home abutting it and then homes around it in the same area. We looked and then we looked, just watched them through the years and the homes adjacent to it, you know, they've rised at the same rate, basically. I mean, some go up, some might go down, but then there's so many factors that our data collection does not take into account. Did someone, you know, never paint their house again? Is it drop rotting wood? Some, you know, built on huge additions. So of course that one went up, but the trend is the values have raised at basically the same rate for homes adjacent to it as around it. And they never went down. I mean, it's kind of like a swing pool. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on that. You can get online and you can try to research it. There's, you really can't find much data on it because it's, I don't know. Uh, it's like a swimming pool. Some people will pay more. Some people would just love to live next to subdivision or substation because they don't have a screaming neighbor behind them that's parking junk cars and whatever. It's all 
it's all personal opinion. Some people don't mind, some do, but it doesn't mean the house won't eventually sell. You know, the market, it's still gonna market, it's still gonna sell, someone's gonna buy it. Uh, change, change is hard, I understand that. And that's what, you know, people adjacent to undeveloped ground experience at times. Thank you. Commissioner Carpenter, did you have a follow-up? I do, probably several. Uh, I appreciate all of that. I, we struggle with this um, claim quite often about you know, new development having an impact on property values. And I know it's very inexact and depends on so many different things. But I'm just, you know, I brought this up because there was a specific claim made in your original application, which now you're saying was an error. Um, but now you've brought up three places because that was another question I had in June 2021. Could you give examples of places where you have built uh, new substations next to existing houses? Now, the one at 83rd and Nyes, um, that had most a lot of vacant lots and then houses were built after the plans were already approved for the substation you just said that the one in i think it was where was it shawnee or topeka it's our sherwood substation and sherwood, sherwood lake development which, area which still had undeveloped properties when it when it was already approved and houses were built with the knowledge that there was going to be a substation we have a very different situation here. We have existing houses. They've been there for decades and you are building next to these houses. So given your three examples that you gave me, do you have an example where you have built next to exist an existing neighborhood? Not one that was under development or planned for future development or still had undeveloped well, the first two, the Sherwood and the 87th and Mize, those both, the Sherwood one was about, I don't know, 60 some percent developed. The, I mean, I'm talking about the houses budding up to the back of it. Now, the rest of it was fully developed, more or less. Uh, and then the 87th and Mize was the same. There was many homes adjacent to it already when it was built. And the Peel substation is in Manhattan on Seth Child Road, was built in a fully established area. But again, it was, there was houses across a narrow, typical residential street from it. And then across Seth Child Road on the other side. All right, thank you. That's all I have right now. Yep. On that topic. <laughs> Yes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with an, another question about the size of the facility. Uh, Forever G, can you explain uh, why it is since it's built for four transformers um, or the sizing is for four transformers, you're only building one. Um, you said that it will be another 50 years before you'd put another transformer in there. Can you explain why it is it has to be sized for four transformers when that is not really planned? The, the Dennis Lawler project manager. So when we go again back to our reliability and robust system, 
we, we get our long-term planners. Long-term planners look at 10, 20, 40, 50 years out. What's that gonna look like? What we don't wanna do is go and build a substation similar to Free State, put one transformer in and then come back to you in three years and say, you know what? It grew, the reliability, we need more electricity. We need to expand the substation. So we're back here in three, five years because we, we didn't get the accuracy right. So whenever we go to build a substation and plan for a substation, we get our long-term planners and our short-term planners together saying, what's it gonna take? What's the full ultimate building of this substation if we would ever get there? So that's what we came up with four. So if we had a huge customer come into town and also we needed substation, we needed more electricity, that's our full build out. That's our standard. That's what we've gone with with all of our substations that we build. So even though you've said 50, it would be, take 50 years to build a second transformer in there. It, it, that's a guess. Again, we're basing it based on the last, go ahead, Chris. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Chris Meyer with Evergy. There's some miscommunication there. I, the, the question was, is how long would it take? What I remember at the meeting was how long would it take for this thing to be built out? And we said, well, it could be possibly 50 years before you see four transformers. Now it might be, 10 or five or 10 before you see a second transform. We don't know that, but, um, but the, but the ultimate build out as Dennis was saying would be 50 years. So that's where the 50 years, uh, okay. time frame came from. Ah, thank you for clarifying that. And so something with other projects that you see, the city usually wants you to show future growth mm -hmm. so you're not going back through these steps and it doesn't look like you're trying to tell the neighbors oh we're only going to do this and then well we already build it so we just want to do a little bit more we just want to do a little bit more and you keep on going through this process but just like any other site plan we submit we put a box around it future growth future parking so that's what this is is we want to make sure that you know you're going through this process once and they're being upfront with what's could happen instead of coming back to you down the road and saying, well, we bought another little chunk of land and we want to expand it just a little bit. And, you know, we already did this much. So can, can we just do a little bit more, um, but be upfront with it and say, this is what it could be. This is what it's from day one. Um, but you know, that's why we, that's why we include the sound study for four transformers. You know, we're trying to show full build out so that we're not, um, you know, a lot of people come back and say, well, utilities, you know, we're kind of trying to put pull the wool over our eyes per se, but really trying to show you what it could be, um, just like we would do with any other planning project that comes through. Is we always show future build out um, on site plans. So those four transformers that you're talking about, would that mean also four of these air conditioning units, or is it just one air conditioning unit that services the whole area? Yeah. One per each. So one air conditioning unit per transformer. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Thank you. Commissioner Thomas. Um, I, when I read where the um, area was available, it sounded to me as though that was not your first choice to build there. You said it was the only place that Evergy and KU could agree upon. What were the other possibilities then that you would like to have built, but could not because you couldn't come to an agreement with KU. You bet, Dennis Fowler, probably manager. So when we go looking for a substation site, we talk to anybody that's willing to sell us land. So we were open to whatever KU endowment was providing back to us as their option. As in terms of where we prefer it, again, our really criteria is next to the transmission line, 
and close to that other substation. But again, where we really want it and where we're going to go, it's really up to a willing landowner that's willing to sell the property to us because we can't just go in and, and say, hey, we want to go here. So when we went to KU Endowment, really the conversation went as, are you willing to sell us a piece of property? Let's sit down and talk about it. So we sat down and talked about it and they said, well, based on our 10-year plan, this is the area we're willing to sell. We're in. That's how that conversation went. We didn't come in and say, we want to be here. We really were open to, hey, what's available? What can we purchase? And does it fit our criteria? And that's when the answer was yes. And, and were there other places not close to a residential, uh, an established residential area that you could build, but the transmission lines? Good, good question. And the, the, we, we wanted to be close to the area that we're close to. I guess the, the one option we did look at, so we do have a, a, a substation at the location of Billings and Castle on the Northwest corner um, called Wren substation. It's, again, it's too small. So one idea was maybe expand that, but then we'd have to go talk to the Girl Scouts to see if they're willing to sell a piece of property to expand that substation. So again, we wanted to stay in this area. So we talked to KU and Down at first, and they were willing to, to, to work with us to sell us a piece of property. So we never even approached that because we already had a piece of property that they're willing to sell. And I have no idea if the Girl Scout Association, because that's the area we would have to go into, would even be off, and even a, a, a plan. But we were looking back to my long-term planner, short-term planner. Hey, what's the plan look like? Where do you want to go? This is the area we were focusing on. And I do understand that you are required, not just that you'd like to serve Lawrence or you'd like to <laughs> do this, but you are mandated. By law, that's correct. Yes. And I, I don't know that there is, I'm not even sure I would understand the answer you gave me, but the expense of moving to a less populated area and then having the transmission line um, hook up with your other transmission lines are you, and I'm, I use the word prohibitively, sure. but I, I don't even know what that means. What is the ex overriding expense then that you would have? The, the challenges would be um, along with the expenses. So now we're building transmission lines to people's properties. And so now we're going to go in people's backyards, people's front yards to just pick, if you go from Perry to here, let's say I couldn't find a piece of property between here and Perry. So now I'm building a large transmission line, but now I still be, have to be able to somehow get that transmission electricity to locals distribution-wise. So I still have to find something locally. So it really comes back to, I've got to find a willing landowner. So can I do that? Well, I, we can try to go farther out, but now substantially the costs will grow. And I don't know in terms of the actual dollars or not, I can't answer that. I'm um, I don't know that answer. I can just tell you that that for locally. So if we do have an outage that really limits us to how quick we can get folks back online. And that's really our most important thing is we don't want that's what we're trying to do. Our robust try to keep people in with electricity as, as much as we can. And that's one of our hindrances right now is we don't have a backup, a good backup in this area. And so that's why we really focused on this area. We didn't go farther out and look at areas because we found a willing landowner, which I know really doesn't answer your question, but that's the best I got. Yeah, go ahead. And, uh, Casey Colburn, Bartlett West, Commissioner Thomas. If you also look at the uh, land use map in the area, there's no land. I mean, the, it, the, the biggest chunk of land that you can talk to that somebody has somebody to sell is KU. 
And so that's really what drove us there is too, is who has the land available in this area or, you know, then you're still, if you build it way outside, you're still trying to find other places to build substations. You know, that's, you know, that's where it needed to be in this area. Looking at the infill of everything, um, there's not really much for sale or where you can put um, a substation at. More question. I just oh, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, if you want to go on that topic, that's I just, you know, kind of kind of in between things. Do I think um, <laughs> thinking about uh, that location, and I'm 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 thinking about in the context of demand. Um, I find myself wondering about two different categories. Um, is there anything about that location that is an advantage for our community as you see more and more demand from electro electric vehicles, EVs? Um, for example, you know, what do you guys think about? We think about a thousand more of those over the next couple of years plugging in. Is there anything about this location that that is a benefit there? And then second, as you think about um, the, the, the planned development to the west, both residentially and commercially, and hopefully something that spins off of all the activities going on the east. How does this location then serve the community from, from both the local demand EVs and our growth. You bet. So back when we looked at this plan before we even knew anything to the Southeast was going to occur, we knew about electric vehicles. We knew that people would probably want to put some sort of a charging station in their homes. We knew that was probably all going to go West. But again, this particular area was able to serve both East and West. We wouldn't have to do something just to the West. This allowed us more flexibility. The problem we've got right now, the challenge we have right now with the existing substation, we don't have a, a breakers in it. So it means we can't stop or, or open up a line. So if somebody else gets overheated, we don't we can't shift that energy off of that particular substation. And that's a big challenge. Well, if you put the substation here, now we've got a lot of flexibility on how we can run the circuits around town. So that's really what drove us here was to provide that reliability and that flexibility to control when we have a storm or we have it, the, the heat we've had the last two weeks just gives that flexibility. Hey, this is going to get overheated. How can we relieve that? And this gives us that chance to do that. Thank you. That. Uh, on a different topic. Um, so the electromagnetic field, and I forget who it was that spoke that said there is no, and that may have been you, no evidence. But even in your literature, it says there is some evidence for childhood leukemia, albeit a small chance. And um, that was part of what some of the people wrote in about. So if you mind, can put the PowerPoint back up? I'm Dennis Waller, my, my slide on that. I apologize, you should go get quicker. Okay. Um, so when I said that there's no, oh, darn it. Yep. Who's got me? Thank you. <laughs> um, there's, there's no correlation. I'm not, so if you look at the first bullet I have up on the screen, there's no correlation that we found. I'm not going to say there's no evidence because that's not a true statement because we don't know. Okay. But we do know that at this point in time, there's no correlation between the two that we've found or any study has found. 
Okay, thank you. Chris Berger. So 2002 NIH came out with a study, an exhaustive study paid for with millions of dollars from grant money and found nothing that had any causative effect. There was a quote correlation that could possibly be found in one instance from uh, a, a sampling that was since repeated and never replicated. Now, the way that we know that that's purely correlation and not causative is because you follow the money. And from that point forward, 2006, 2012, the studies all dry up and they end because there was no causative effect between EMF and any form of childhood leukemia or cancer. I will also note that no one was complaining uh, who are directly adjacent to the transmission line that exists there today. And yet what's going on in this plan is to move that transmission line further away from all the houses, as well as have a substation, which is further away than the existing transmission line. So if this was a genuine concern, then I guess they should be having it about the transmission line that's been next to their house for the last 80 years. Thank you. Commissioner Thomas, with that, did you have? That's an answer. Yeah. <laughs> if I uh, may, Madam Chair. Yes, Commissioner Carter, please. Thank you. Um, on, on the subject of the of the relocation or the not the entire decommissioning of that transmission line on the um, uh, northern end of the residential properties, I wonder if the applicant could ex uh, explain in a little bit more detail the strategy for. Uh, degrading the capacity of that trans transmission line rather than decommissioning it altogether. That is, with the construction of the transmission line that Commissioner uh, Rexroad already talked about um, to the um, to the facility. Uh, what is what's happening with that transmission line on the southern end of of your property? Why not just? Uh, why is it not possible or not practical to just remove it altogether? You bet. So, to ensure that I understand the question, the question is: is so we're going to remove the transmission line right through here? And your question is: why can't we just remove everything? Is that a, is that a fair? Along, along that alignment, yes. What, what's happening with that alignment? It, why bet. is it a dotted line and not removed altogether? Right. So the dotted line, the reason it's a dotted line is because we are going to remove the dotted line portion of the... Someone put me on. I apologize. I'm pretty sure I didn't touch it, but... I think I skipped a couple slides earlier in my present. There it is. Sorry. The, the dotted line portion of this map is the portion that we're going to remove the top portion of the transmission piece of that of that pole. So we're going to, it's, it's, I don't know, 65 feet, 70 feet, whatever it is existing today. And that's a guess. I don't know the exact height of that. But we're going to cut that off. The below portion is the distribution. That's what feeds the houses. So we can't remove everything at this point in time to, to remove the bottom portion of the distribution piece that's feeding the houses because then the houses wouldn't have electricity. So that's why we can take off the top portion and then leave the bottom portion on. Now, what I'll also say is part of our distribution design 
We're not fully sure if, if we're going to keep the poles, if we're going to go underground. We haven't figured all that piece of this puzzle out yet. Kind of depends on um, the design and, and uh, that the distribution folks are going to do. And they haven't dug into the design yet because they're just, we're not that far along in this process. But at a minimum, the smaller 25, 30 feet poles will stay. Does that Thank make you. sense? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, at least I think I, it does. And so I'm just going to repeat what I think I understand. So you're removing the transmission lines, but keeping the distribution lines that any of us would have running through our neighborhoods to distribute electricity to our individual households. Is that That's it? correct. That's correct. Got it. Thank you. Yep. You bet. Is there... Oh. Go ahead, Commissioner. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> so what is the... From what I read in your studies and the people that wrote in, um, it seemed that there was a preference for going underground lines. Is there just such a disparity in cost? That's what's driving it. So um, we, we've talked to our distribution folks. So they fully understand that that's our preference when we start into the design. We, again, we just haven't got that far. That's why I don't want to state anything today that I can't guarantee that's going to happen. Um, at a minimum, if we do stay above ground, we'll, we'll probably relocate those poles so they're on the people's property corner. So there's only one pole there that can feed both houses. But our preference going in, and again, I can't guarantee it would be to put this line underground, but that hasn't been decided. Okay. But just because of costs would be the... There's a couple of reasons. Costs and also what's the soil. If it's rock, suddenly now that's a that's a huge difference in terms of how, how to get that line back in that area. If it's sand or if it's dirt, then it's not. But yeah, I mean, it's it's feasibility in terms of construction. And how deep do those lines need to be, have to be? The homes, they don't have problems to be reconfigured True. from a mass. Do you know how deep they go for distribution lines? I don't know the answer. I'm, okay. I, I'm sorry, I do not know the answer. Yeah, and then what, but yeah, so that would be, I'm sorry, I don't know All that. Right. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So I, I think what uh, Commissioner Carpenter said is for many things that we deal with, um, neighborhoods are concerned about property values. And while I, I saw no definitive answer on this, um, I certainly appreciate it. I will just say, some people say the not in my backyard. I did not hear that as the major argument, except from a couple of people. Uh, I, I think that is a real concern that I certainly have for neighbors who have been there for decades. And, and the answer is, well, we can point to this place or that place and did it go up as much did it go um i i am i am somewhat uneasy um i guess about not having an answer and perhaps there cannot be a definitive answer but i know that is a deep-seated concern with neighbors who, who have their homes, and when you're 126 feet away rather than 
400 feet away or a, a different distance, uh, I, I see that as a valid concern for this project. Mm -hmm. Understood. Um, Chris Berger again, value is always a concern. So here you have to look at your code and what the considerations are. And here you have to, has to be shown that it will have a substantial impact on value. What we have from the county appraiser, you can take it as ambiguous, but what we have from the county appraisers, they don't have any evidence to show. That, that it's it is, not. That it is. That it's not either. That it is. Because the burden here is, you can't prove a negative. The burden here is to show that it does. And we have, albeit anecdotal, but we do have evidence that's gone in front of you that specifically says that there is no opposite line trajectories based off of the presence of a substation. If that was in fact the evidence, you would have that evidence and someone would present that evidence. And certainly the county appraiser would know, the appraiser institute would report on it. It would not be a subject of mystery. So respectfully, the fact that there's nothing presented is in fact showing compliance with that as one of the terms requiring the approval of this. I heard you. <laughs> well, you just scared me over. <laughs> Commissioner Rexford. Yeah, so I appreciate those comments. Um, um, I'm not sure I agree with you completely. I understand your point. Um, and I'm not sure it's, in this particular case, just a, an absolute strict binary interpretation of code. Um, I don't believe that the absence of information, you should assume a positive. I think the absence of information is the absence of information. Um, I can apply my own common sense to something and, and you know, imagine if I'm going to look at a property and if one of them is right next door to a substation, one of them is right next door to a pasture, that might inform my decision of where I might want to go. Um, having said that, though, um, you know, will property values be affected? You know, it, it's likely the answer is yes. For some people, it might narrow the market and the people that are willing to buy there. Will the view change um, for those neighbors? Um, I think the, the answer to that question is absolutely it will. Um, but at the same time, I, I asked myself, I find myself wondering. You know, is it reasonable to believe that um, if you have property that adjoins um, uh, this big expanse of, of KU's property that is believed to be future site of development, um, will things change? And I think the answer to that is, is yes, at some point, somehow, some way. And I, I find myself wondering, then when I try to weigh this question of, of the value of, of property change, these, these, these potential negatives with what might be, um, the idea that this substation with the considerations that have been made, the change in its location, the improvement in the buffer, while there's still questions about maintenance and things that have to be done well for that, for all of those uh, uh, remediations to be effective, there's some security, I think, in that as a neighbor of that being a constant something that is has been designed to listen to them and provide an answer for them so i i can 
I personally can get past a bit of the concern on value, knowing that there could be any number of things that would go there that wouldn't rest necessarily respect the, the <laughs> buffering that you're trying to put in place today. Um, I have a sense that the general location, the general location is right. But I, I just have to ask this one question. A year ago, you guys were in here and we talked about this and the neighborhoods came in and they were very, very clear about the concerns that they have and they still have those concerns. And you went back to KU and KU sold you some more ground. And you pushed it back 42 feet. Awesome. At that point, with KU hearing all of this neighborhood concern, knowing that you could put that any place in this giant patch of ground, what was that conversation like where the only alternative was 40 feet? No, so we went back to KU. We explained the, I mean, they, they saw the meeting. They watched the meeting. They knew what went down in terms of how the conversation went between between us and the landowners. However, when they came back, they pulled out the 10 year plan and they said, we're sticking to this 10 year plan because we've got a future plan that we want to use. Where is that 10 year plan? I've asked that question. I was, oh, it's online. I go online. The 10 year plan basically says we're going to do stuff here. What's where's that plan? Oh, what I can tell you is when we got in the conversation, I didn't see the 10-year plan. It wasn't presented to me. It was just said, this is a piece that will allow you to expand, but the rest of it is in our 10-year plan. So I didn't see it myself. I'm not going to, I know, I just asked the question. It was online. Same answer I gave you is because that's what I was told. If it is what it is, I, I kind of thought myself through that, but I just, I, I, just I hope for nope, neighbors. I understand. From KU on that. Yep. Commissioner Casey Colver Bartlett asked something that I think you hit on and Mary Miller mentioned at the very beginning was by rezoning this, we have to follow city code. If this property is not rezoned and stays within KU's zoning, they have a lot more free reign of what they could build up to that property line. So if the substation does get pushed back far enough that they could squeeze a building in there, there's not gonna be 142 feet between the property line. That's 142 or not 124 feet between the property line, not the houses and the fence, the substation. So there's another backyard separation in there. So if it does get pushed further north, a building could slide in there because we're, we talked about what could happen, you know, if, you know, what, um, so there is, there's nothing saying that that property will never develop, but under the codes of what Mary said, the reasons being zoned R7 is our RS7 is that if it was ever sold, Evergy sold it, somebody couldn't come in and build something in there, an industrial use or something like that. But it's also where it is, is controlling between the fence and the property line that nothing can be built through there. Thank you. Yeah, and Janet Dawson, Evergy. And I, I think the discussion that we're having now kind of harkens back to the beginning of our presentation when we talked about our mandate to serve all of our customers, <clears throat> excuse me, and to understand the stakeholder engagement and balance the interests of those stakeholders. We have to balance the property rights of KU with, with them having the ability to do what they want to do with their property, with the, the stakeholder interests of the property owners that are there adjacent to where we need to build, with the stakeholder interests of the community at, at, at large, who has a demand for more energy. The types of development that we have, all of us are using, think about everything that you power every day. 
and the amount of energy that's being used. Think about all the discussion about um, electric vehicles and what the kind of demand that that's going to add. Moving away from natural gas resources and not having that, that means more electricity demand. And if you wanna know a little bit more about some of that piece, there's a filing that we do with the Kansas Corporation Commission. And I was trying furiously over there to find the docket number for you on my phone and I'm not that, that skilled, but we do an integrated resource plan every three years, which is a comprehensive plan that goes through the amount of demand that we're expecting for our generation resources. And so naturally it follows that that same generation demand has to be delivered to customers via our transmission lines and our distribution lines. So we see that trajectory of that demand growing. So we have to balance that, that need as well of what we're coming through. What we're putting forward is that we've looked at all of these different things. And this balance that we're trying to achieve can be achieved here. While I, I'm, I'm empathetic, absolutely, with the property, the four property owners who talked to us tonight who are right there, we're looking at the greater good for all of Lawrence. While I'm empathetic with the bike, the bike path, in fact, I, I didn't mention earlier, but I'm a resident of Douglas County. The bike path runs right in front of my home out on 902nd Road. I'm a personal donor to Flat, so the, the Friends of Lawrence Area Trails. I'm a, I'm a cyclist, so I get that. We want to close that loop. We want to get that in. Those are all balancing all of these interests. But at some point, you know, we've been here, what, May of 2021. At some point, we have to say, have we, have we met that standard of trying to balance those stakeholder interests and being able to move forward for a project that does, in fact, benefit the community at large? And I, I think that we've, that we've demonstrated that in, in looking at how this fits into that overall reliability sustainability framework. So I just wanted to mention that stakeholder balance piece with, with KU and with the other property owners. They, they all have rights about their property. I think Jim was. Is, was there somebody online? Somebody waving? I think Jim was, was had his hand up. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter? Is that? I don't see him. No, <laughs> oh, but Commissioner Baroto, please. Uh, yes, I, I have a question. Um, I understand that there is no proof of how this will affect the property value. Uh, for that, we need to have another station at 120 feet away from a property and also with four transformers in it. That way we can actually compare what is, what's going to happen. Now, my only concern is with the noise study done, which basically it was done on a different facility. And we're not 100% sure how many transformers were on at the same at that time. Am I right? Yeah, I don't know how many transformers were done. We're, we're, we're on on this. So basically, the uh, DBA that I see here, uh, of a rating of 48, basically, how was that conducted? And, and how do you get to that measurement without knowing how many transformers were on at the, that, that different location? So I'll turn to our sound guy for that. But one thing that should be noted is the recommendation from the city has a max in there to kind of cover that of what that level is and that's where um you know that's part of the recommendation is to help with that of you know if these things do come up of the hvac and things so that's where um, the city put that in there of instead of just having the study that mary had a recommendation of there of a max uh, db level um for the property okay all Try to get some. Or, no, no. Hey, uh, you want to talk about how the yeah. format is? 
So the the question earlier that um, I mentioned that we didn't know if something was running was referring specifically to the, the air conditioning in the buildings within the transformer site. Um, as far as I know, the, all the transformers at the sites that we were measuring were running, and we took into account the number of transformers as we backed out that data to calculate for this new site. Okay. Also, um, in going back to the property value, again, we have no proof, but one thing is for sure, and we need no study for this. If you go into a property and you sit in the backyard and you hear a tractor running 24-7, I need no study to, to tell me that that property value is going down, no matter what. Now, my concern is what happens if these measurements are not accurate? And if in fact, after the four transformers are running, plus the two or three AC units are running, these measurements are a lot higher than what the city recommended. What happens then? Energy uh, is at risk not being in compliance with the CUP or the SUP. And Jeff, can Mr. Crick, can you talk about what happens when somebody's out of compliance? What does the city have as yeah, Jeff is fine, by the way. Um, <laughs> in the cases of a special use permit, the city commission, the planning commission, excuse me, the city commission has the ability to revoke the special use permit, which would mean the use is no longer permitted at the site. So that does infer a different process. It does fire up and go through, um, but it is that same as the revocation would occur. And the same as with, uh, with landscaping or something like that. If it doesn't come into compliance, you know, if we send a notice saying these trees need to be replaced, they're missing from the site, someone chooses not to do that, revocation of the special use is possible under that circumstance too. Let, let's be realistic about that. No one's ever gonna revoke an SUP that shuts down part of the power grid in Lawrence. So whatever we're doing here now is what's gonna happen. We're not gonna ever reach the point of revoking the SUP. So really, uh, Commissioner Barato's <laughs> question hasn't really been answered because we're giving a, a, a solution that's nonsensical. Uh, Commissioner Carter. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I'd like to follow up on both of those points because my, my question has less to do about what is the noise reading at this wall than what's the noise reading at the property line. Uh, because what, and, and, and uh, Commissioner Rex Road alluded to this earlier, you know, with the topography, et cetera. And I, I you know, I, I appreciate the, um, the applicants, um, you know, pretty detailed answer, but I think from the standpoint of the uh, SUP and the conditions, it's, it's more relevant how much noise is escaping that property and how, and not how much noise is emanating from the facility at the wall. Uh, I'm not sure if we have or could collect the necessary to ensure that we we're you know measuring that impact accurately up front, like Commissioner uh, Carpenter suggests, but I think that would be my my principal concern with respect to noise. Uh, Mary Miller has a response. Yes, um, Mary Miller, planner. I think one of the issues with you know measuring and setting a noise requirement at the property line is that we can't ensure that all the sound is coming from the substation. We're going to have noise from the road. We may have noise from the properties themselves. It could be noise from the road on the other side of the property. So once you move away from the wall, then you're measuring all kinds of noise, unless you could make the entire area be silent, 
so that you could measure the substation at the property line. And I don't think that would ever be possible. So it would be nice to be able to say, you can't be louder than that at the property line. I think it would just be very hard to measure that. Practically, I'm not sure what else at that particular type of property line would be emanating noise that would compete with the transformers, but your point is taken. Traffic, air conditioning units. I think the list in there kind of talks about what, I mean, you have Castle that I drove down at one o'clock last night leaving work that there was cars driving down at all the time. Was it bumper to bumper? No, but there are uh, this time of year, AC's running pretty much probably not everybody's running at the exact same time, but people's running probably about 24 seven, depending on whose house it's on. So um, we can go back to the list there that has some of the comparable noises of what it is. And like you said, maybe two or three in the morning, but there's still birds, that type of noise going on. Um, so that's where it's kind of hard to get the final dead silent um, noise reading. Given the, the concern with it, is there anything else that can be done to dampen the noise coming from those transformers that you haven't, you've backed it up a bit. There's, so there's distance, there's the wall that has a certain de deafening quality to it. There's the height of the wall. Is there anything else that can be done to mitigate the noise? So not to answer your question, we've looked at a lot of different alternatives. And one of the best alternatives that came out of one of our public meetings, and again, I somehow I went through my presentation and missed a couple of slides in there, but um, one of the ideas we had is to take this entire substation layout and go 180 degrees, try to get the transformers farther away. But what that did is that put the PCCs closer to the residents. So we really defeated, we didn't see the, the benefit of all that. So we went ahead and went back to what the way we left it today. So to answer your question, we've had, we've looked at a variety of different options of what we can do to try to mitigate the, the, the noise. And outside of what we're at today, that's really the, uh, the options that we've got in front of us. Can I, say I, I will say that we've, we've tried to look at other alternatives. So um, we're, that's where we've been. We were, when we talked to residents, we were open to whatever suggestions that came about that were feasible, that would work, that we still were in regulation. Same question, maybe a different way. Um, you're up and running. You got four transformers. You're violating the noise requirement. What do you do? Sure. I, I guess one of the things I and I so I I'm, I want to list my team members that are, that are on this project. And if you look at everybody that's working on this project, over half, probably two thirds of the folks on my on this, it's our team, live in Douglas County or Lawrence. So we are vested to be good stewards of what's going on with this project. It's just not someone from Topeka saying, hey, this is a good idea. So to answer your question, though, we are, and, and Janet did a great job of outlaying how much community means to us. We're part of the community. We live in the community. So we, if we found out that um, our vegetation uh, landscape plan wasn't, our trees were dying, we would resolve that. We would come out, we'd water, we'd plant, we would make that right. That'd be no different than if we suddenly had four transformers that we had to put in there within the 50 year period quicker, we would resolve that. We, as, as Evergy, we are implement part of our community. We are good stewards of the community. We will do what we need to do to make it right. So we don't want to be in violation. It doesn't matter if it's the city, the county, the state, the court. I mean, the KCC, we will do um, because we're here. I mean, we are we're, and we're, we'll be here. We're not going anywhere. And, the, and the, the folks on our team 
live here. So to answer your question, all I can tell you is in good faith, we will do the right thing. We will do what's right, obligated by law, and we will follow the rules. We will follow the regulations and we'll follow whatever implementation is put on the conditional use permit. So yes, that's- I appreciate that. And you know, I know one, I care. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, but to Jim's point- How do you, how do you enforce it? City has maybe fewer um, paths that we can go forward. With it. My question is, what's what specific things would you do? Would you build a taller wall? Would you put it? What specific things can you say I would do if we are in fact blasting the neighbors with sound greater than what we promised? That's a great question. So here's my answer to you. I have to get some experts to answer that question because I'm not the right person to answer that question. I I could throw out some ideas. I don't know if they're feasible. Bill, I could I, I admit back up. I could say that'd be great. Let's let's make that wall taller. Would that really help? I don't know. Is it can we do that? But I, my answer would be we would look into that and make it happen. But again, I would say that by regulation, as part of the community, we will be obligated to make it right. We will follow the rules, but I understand that. So what's the what's the bat? What's the what's the the, the, the I believe you Thank, I appreciate that. Yeah. So Chris thanks for the honest know? thanks for the honest answer. No, you bet you have it, Chris. Oh, yes, yeah, true. Technology, yes. Good point. The other thing to mention, Jana Dawson again, is is that enabling technology that I talked about earlier. You you know, if you look at how things have progressed, if you remember dial-up, how loud it used to be to, to get your internet on, right? And it was annoying, and now you know it's instantaneous and quiet. The same thing is happening with a lot of the technologies that we deploy. And over time, those those technologies will continue to get better and faster and quieter over time as we as we add those on. So we have to take that into consideration too. Thank you. So um, question, so the existing facility at Meadowlark Lane, if I'm standing right next to the fence, it's pretty loud. But if I get about a hundred feet away, I can't hear anything. Could you guys compare the two and tell us like, how similar are they in terms of size and just so we can get under Well, yeah. the biggest thing I think is metal art chain. Yeah. chain, chain link. It's chain link versus a stone or a, a precast wall. So that's going to be a big thing. So it's going to even be the wall is going to be noise dampening. Um, so it's going to be even less. But in terms of size, but, but on the size of it, how many? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Is it going to be the same? Is it, is it going to be the same size in terms of transformers and HVAC units and such? The answer is right now. The answer would be yes. Um, the the size will be the same. The uh, the power that it that will get it's probably a thirty five year old transformer that's sitting right. there. So technology wise. It's going to be about the same size, but it's going to provide more power. And also, just because it's 35 years, it's going to be quieter. But yes, that would be my answer back to you. Okay. Now, I say all that. I can't quantify it. I, right. just, I just, but that's, I can say that very confidently. Okay. Um, I have just a, a quick question, just because um, you answered um, some questions about the technology for the noise and the uh, the plantings, what happens if um, they are not up to par. But there was another question from one of uh, the residents about putting a switch. I'm not sure I understood it. It was had to do with putting a switch up at Castle. Could you adjust, just address that, please? Yes. I, I think the, the, the gentleman um, 
we have the reason that the existing substation is too small. We have to put breakers in, not switches. So switches, we can put a switch on on, on 19th up at, at the road at Castle, but that's not the challenge we have at the existing substation. The existing substation, we need breakers. So breakers are about the size of this table right here, as opposed to a switch, which is probably uh, half that. So it's, it's something that you can switch we can actually put on a transmission line. So I, what are you saying is that if, it, if switches are only your only issue, mm -hmm. just go up to the transmission line and put it on and fix your problem. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only challenge we have at the existing substation. The existing substation are the breakers. That's what that's what's not providing us the ability to provide re, uh, options when we have a problem in terms of overheating in the system. Thank you. You bet. More questions. Uh, more questions from commissioners. Um, I, I will ask, I'll ask Mr. Dixon if that answered his question about the switch versus the breakers. You're on, you're on mute, Mr. Dixon. Okay. Um, I didn't understand about the, uh, the size of the breakers and why they couldn't be installed on two residential lots as part of the switching. Yeah. Mr. Nixon, a transformer. I'm not following your question. The, 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 the problem with God is the existing substation, those breakers would have to go in the substation next to the transformer. It's got to be the ability to virtually reach out and not touch, but very close to the transformer within 15, 20 feet. Okay, so we couldn't I, put those breakers up at the top of the hill on the piece of property. Is that what you're saying? I'm, that was one of the options. The other option was to repurpose the West 19th Street transmission line that you're going to take out and make it the connection between the castle line and the west campus uh, area where you do have a transformer where you could put breakers why can't you do that i'm i'm sorry i'm confused so are you talking about the west campus substation because it's not big enough to put the breakers in i'm sorry help educate me what you're asking you're going to install a new transformer in the free state why not install a new transformer at the west campus huh. right the challenge we have right now in the West Campus is we don't have room for the breakers. That's the main thing we need to add to that, that substation. So that's the that's the, the crux of why we need a bigger substation is because we can't leave what's in there today and include the breakers that we need to add to the substation. So we, that's why it's too small. I have another question I've been trying to get in. We, we left the topic about an hour ago. <laughs> but were, someone, was, someone was asking the question about how is the electricity going to be distributed to the KU campus from this substation. And you showed the transmission line coming out of the out of the substation, but you didn't talk about the distribution lines. The, the transformers are used to step down the voltage from the transmission voltage to a distribution voltage, which then is stepped down locally at the poles. Correct. Where is where are those distribution lines coming out of those transformers going to go? I don't see them in the map. Where are the transmission lines going to go, or the distribution? No, no, the distribution, distribution lines. lines. Yeah, the distribution. I'm, you've I'm got sorry. Four go ahead. transformers. Each one of those is going to have multiple distribution lines coming out of them. Where are they in the diagram? Where are there going to be poles with distribution lines coming out of that substation in addition to what you've shown? 
No, there will be no, no additional poles. All the distribution structure, infrastructure that's out there today will not, only thing that would potentially change is where we're topping the poles. No, I'm talking about the distribution lines coming from the transformers in the new substation. How are they going to be brought out of the substation and into the community? Oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Did, oh, yeah. Yep. I think, yeah, we've got somebody. Yep, go ahead. Chris. I, yeah. go ahead. You know, Chris Meyer, Evergy, uh, and they never send an electrical engineer to these meetings. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so I am not one either. But my understanding is, so the, from the from the transformer, the, that's what those PCCs are. They they whatever they do there, they run the line to there, and then the, and out through distribution. So they so where those where those PCCs would be south of the transformers, the distribution lines would most likely go out to the south. Uh, and connect with those poles out there. But that's what I want to know. So, so, Mr. Dixon, so the way it works is it goes from the transformer to the PCC inside the substation, and then from the PCC, it'll go underground, and it's called a getaway to outside the sub to the existing pole and run up the pole. So there won't be any new poles because whatever poles are out there today, we will use it. So if you go, and I know you, nobody looks at electric poles, but if you go look at them, you'll see the pole will be there and there'll be a, a plastic conduit next to it that runs up. What that'll be is that the, underneath the ground, the conduit will come to that pole, run up the pole, and that's where it'll get attached to the distri uh, distribution lines and go out to the grid. So, so how, many, how many distribution lines will you have on a single pole then? I mean, distribution line, each pole would have one. Well, then, I, Mr. Dixon, if I might bring this back to um, the, the original question from um, Commissioner Rexroad, who asked about lines right. going to KU. So, it, and, and I think that's also what Mr. Dixon is worried about is how many lines. There, there'll be no additional distribution lines when we're, after the project is done, is out there today. Don't, there'll be less transmission lines, uh, poles, and then the red line. The substation is kind of breaking the existing transmission lines and tying in. There's not and tying in Castle and the existing transmission lines there. They're not going out to Iowa and building new transmission lines at this point or anything like that. And the distribution lines are all staying the same. As Dennis mentioned, the poles on people's backyards might move because some people have a pole in the dead center of their yard or might have two kind of in their yard. Um, some people don't, that they're going to put it on the property line. So it's the same distance from each house, pretty much. So those poles might move a little bit through there, but they're going to get shorter. But the lines themselves are the same lines that are out there right now. Those so are they're, not, they're not redistributing power to KU. They're not. Re, it's just a new substation to help with distribution, but they're not building new distribution lines to new uh, users. Okay. What are the transformers be used for then? I'm sorry. So again, Mr. What are the transformers there for? And I'm oh. I'm going to need to bring this back to the okay. commission for follow up. Okay. Um, on these this line of questioning, does anybody want to follow up on Mr. Dixon's distribution line questions? I think I understand it. Okay. Everybody understand what? Okay. Um. Looking online again for any other commissioners who might have some comments. Commissioner Carter is unmuted, so I don't know whether that's a <laughs> sign or, or not. Well, I, I'm I I am uh, trying to evaluate the three items before us and see mm -hmm. sort of where we stand on all of them. 
Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful to the public for their expression of mostly their concerns, aside from uh, the attorney from Evergy, I haven't heard anyone from the public enthusiastically support this. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I'm also grateful to the applicant for the diversity of their uh, representatives who have been who have been able to address our questions. I think pretty effectively. Um, I'm not in a position. I don't think we're, we're in a position where we can make a motion, but I think it would be helpful to try to kind of draw the draw things back as to where we stand with respect to the, the items before us. And, um, you know, thinking back to a, a year ago when the applicant was 13 months ago, when the applicant was, was last year, um, one of the big concerns was that residents didn't feel that they'd had ample time to prepare a response. And I think that was one of the big reasons we, um, we deferred, right? Uh, it's been 13 months. I think, it, you know, personally, I it, it, I believe that the um, the applicant has made a um, I think a, a pretty good faith effort to respond to the main concerns that the uh, that the residents that the neighbors brought up. Um, I think some things are irreconcilable, as uh, I think uh, uh, Commissioner Barotto most eloquently uh, described, um, this is likely to have a, uh, an effect on um, the immediate neighbors, a pretty unavoidable effect. And I'm, uh, you know, it may not be uh, demonstrable or whatever the, uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, qualifying word was that, uh, that was used because it's, it's, it's an individual case. Um, but um, the direction it, it seems to me that we're that we're going is that um, you know the community the 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 benefit to the the entire community versus the negative effect on the immediate neighbors, and um, I wonder if there are any other commissioners who would like to explore that, or if we are in a position to try to move towards some kind of resolution items. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. I think we are in a position to move to that to sort of get an idea from the commission where they are leaning and why. Um, any I can, remaining concerns or any general statements about? Yeah, I can I can lean into that a little bit. Um, I uh, I do appreciate and take very seriously the feedback from the neighbors. I believe that they have valid concerns. Um, I think some of the things that they're concerned about are very real. Um, um, I also believe that um, in, in terms of potential neighbors, um, whatever G's done over the last year to listen to and to make changes to accommodate those concerns is, is pretty substantial. Um, and I also know that um, uh, KU uh, has the right to use that property in, in many different ways. And as I'd said earlier, um, my, my sense is that, um, that this represents, in, in a world where you, they just, I don't think it's reasonable to believe that your, your backyard neighbor is always going to be this beautiful pasture. This represents a, 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 a less offensive possibility than, than many, many other things might be. So because of that, because I believe that um, the general location as it relates to um, where 
um, Lawrence is planning to grow um, and just in um, understanding clearly what is happening with EVs and, and the demand that that's going to put on, on gosh, every neighborhood around us. Um, I'm inclined to lean towards approval of the SUP. I believe that the rezoning to RS7 is the right rezoning to support that. Um, and I don't have any, I don't have any further questions about the plat and the work that they've done. So I'm, I'm inclined to support for those reasons. Thank you, Commissioner Retro. Commissioner Thomas had. Well, I was not here for the May or June hearing before. It is, it seems evident to me at least that Evergy has made substantial efforts to address those concerns. Are there still some issues up in the air that are unresolvable? Uh, yes. Electricity is needed. The community is going to grow. Um, I, I, um, I think you've addressed the questions that I had. Um, and I, I would be inclined, uh, certainly to, to change the, the zoning to an RS seven. And, um, I, I believe that Evergy will be as good a neighbor as is possible. I do believe that. And, and that is important. I do also believe that there will be some neighbors that are adversely affected by this going in. Is that, um, that may just be inevitable for the good of the whole, which I think this uh, substation is, uh, unfortunately, um, some people may adversely affect, but I would be inclined to vote for these three things. Thank you, Commissioner Thomas. Would anybody else like to speak on their, just yeah, Commissioner Barotto? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I'd like to mention, um, yeah. if we look back and see how much the city has grown in the last 50 years, you know, and if we try to set up the grounds or the basis to keep growing in, if we, for the next 50 years, the demand for electricity keeps going up and it will continue to go up. And also the, um, the weather, you know, with extreme heat and extreme cold, I understand that Evergy needs some sort of, I'm not going to say getaway, but support. And, and if we look at the map in the city, we they're right. We don't have that many lands available for them to, to build, regardless whether they're built, a neighborhood will be around them. Whether if it's before or after, homes will be around that plant, no matter what, because the city is gonna keep growing. We're not gonna stay where we are, we're gonna to continue to grow. And again, my only concern is just, you know, the, the noise level, which um, I'm not 100% sure what the DPA will be. But again, we have no proof that a plan behind the backyard is going gonna, is gonna to affect the value of the property. We don't know that. We, we don't have the proof for it. Um, and, you know, for, for those reasons, I, I believe that, you know, I, I'll support um, Evergy in this, in this cause. That's all. Thank you.
<coughs> Would you like to weigh in? Yes, Commissioner um, No, I, I, I think okay. I agree with, yes. Um, those online, Commissioner Carter or Commissioner Carpenter? Um, Commissioner Carpenter. I just want to start by saying, once again, I'm not impressed by the actions of KU and the KU endowment and not taking into consideration neighboring properties to their land and how this all was carried out. I mean, they have a long history of showing a complete and utter disregard for neighbors to KU property. And this doesn't do anything to um, make me feel any better that they have learned anything over time. There are a lot of issues we haven't discussed. There is still a KU city agreement uh, that can, I believe, control some buffer land that they have agreed that the uh, zoning will apply to a certain distance into their land. So they can't actually come right up to the backyard. <laughs> If that's this, and, it, and if that applies to this property, um, in June of 2021, there was a lot of confusion about who actually owned this land, whether it was KU or the KU endowment, um, because there were statements that it was the KU endowment. So, really, what control did the state have over endowment land versus KU land? Those are issues that we should probably take. Uh, so everybody is on the same page with our understanding about that. The fact that uh, this land has now been purchased from KU, now it's city land, it has to have a zoning category. Absent any zoning category, it's an odd zoning category, I think. Uh, Mary, what, what is the zoning category by default new land that comes into the city? If you're annexed and you don't have any development proposal, you can go to UR or Urban Reserve. But um, as this already has a zoning, it couldn't go to UR. That's just for newly annexed land that is just waiting okay. on development. All right. So, you know, the RS zoning makes sense for that part. The plat, problem always with approving a preliminary plat is it's just the current idea for that land. It's not a final build-out for that land. Um, we have, you know, both in our packets, uh, diagrams and transformer, diagrams for transformers, uh, sound studies showing one from coming from one transformer from four transformers, and a statement made that final build-out would be four transformers made by Evergy. So we're looking at eventually... I suppose but that is not what was submitted as a preliminary plan. I just bring that up that we only see preliminary plans. We don't see final plans. Those are administratively approved. They're appealable to the city commission after this. And I can't, and the last is uh, it's a special use permit not a conditional use permit. So we've had interchangeable terms here, but it's a special use permit because it's under the city code. 
enforcement is going to be could be an issue because, as I said before, um, the final available sanction by the city, I doubt would ever be used because this is going to be an integral part of the electrical grid. All the statements about some people are going to have effects that outweigh, well, some we're going to have some properties that suffer detrimental effects while the community as a whole uh, benefits from this type of development. This isn't the first time we've seen that. Uh, we still have the water tower issue. It still keeps popping up and is you know in the hands of the city commission. But those of you that were here for that, that was a big conversation there. And every time that that undeveloped land comes under development, we have the same conversation that <clears throat> certain people suffer more than than others sometimes by what the development is. I do, I do see that Evergy's done a lot to try to do this. I think there was a lot of wasted time in communicating with the with neighbors. Uh, we all got that email she sent out. It was to each one of the planning commissioners at the time, and it was added to our agenda as a communication that was received so that it was out there. And, and there was a lot of time between our last meeting and when Evergy actually publicly said they were going to meet with the neighborhood. I think there was wasted time and some of these issues could or should have been resolved before we got here tonight. But oh, this is one of those projects, even though I think we're, we're hearing a lot of puffery and vagueness and um, even possibly some misdirection. It's one of those things that Unfortunately, I think that there's not, not a really good way to say no to it. So I'm going to have to reluctantly vote yes to it for it. I just want the neighbors to know that no matter how this comes up, the city commission, um, you should, they can explore, they have, you have options to explore a protest petition. You also have options to pull it from a consent agenda to have a discussion by the city commission. So you still have your chance to bring your case to the city commission after our vote tonight. So with all that said, I guess that's all I've got to say. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Um, just one issue that Commissioner Carpenter brought up that I'd like to ask staff about real quick is that there has been um, statements here that KU could do something with this property. Um, and that, so what would potentially the buffer be for anything that KU would build to the property owners? Is there any kind of restriction there on what KU could do? The property in the city that is owned UKU is not fully subjectable to land development code. It is subject to the KU City Cooperative Land Use Agreement, and it has a 150-foot buffer noticing portion of it in there. It says that we will engage if we're within 150 feet of the property line. There is nothing in the land development code that would compel certain buffer yard standards, certain other things in there. It's been a great working relationship over the years where KU will do certain things to help mitigate that where they can and you know, maneuver buildings and 
and provide screening and do certain things where, where they can fit it in. But there isn't anything in the code that can compel an action in those lines there. So if the property is zoned UKU, it is subject to the cooperative agreement and not for the land development, excuse me, not to the land development code. Thank you for clarifying that. And, and given that clarification, that's something I take to heart that um, that KU could do something else with that property without the, the conditions put upon it um, that Evergy has agreed to um, with the walls and the moving, moving the property back, the noise mitigation. So I, I take those issues um, to heart uh, that KU could put something there. Evergy has done a lot of work to mitigate where possible. Um, this is a community. Yeah, I, I, I'm not just going to repeat what everybody says. It's a difficult issue. There, there will be some negative impact to the neighbors, um, but I think Evergy has shown that they are going to mitigate that as much as possible. And I do take to heart that without this project, there could be any number of things that happen on that property as well. Um, so um, unless anybody has any further comments, I'd like to take these issues um, one by one, of course. Um, we need to start with the rezoning. If anybody is in a position to make a motion for 1A, the rezoning from approximately 9.7 acres located in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle and Bob Billings. I'll raise my hand if no one else is. <laughs> Commissioner Rexrod. Move, we approve the request to rezone Z-21-00138. Of uh, UKU District RS7 um, District, located at the southwest corner intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway, and forward to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report. Do we have a second? I'll second it. Commissioner Thomas, thank you. Any further discussion on 1A, the rezoning proposal? Okay, Jeff, if you could call the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barodo? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Okay, moving on to 1B for the preliminary plat. So the first one, 1A with the rezoning, that will go on to the city commission as Mr. Carpenter recommended. So there is um, an option for the public to address the city commission with that. The pl preliminary plat um, ends with us. Um, <coughs> would anybody care to make a motion on the preliminary plat? Okay. Commissioner Rexrode. <laughs> <laughs> move we approve very flat pp-21-00139 for free state substation located at the southwest corner of the intersection of castle drive and Billings parkway do i have a second one second commissioner duvar duvar excuse me <coughs> any further discussion on the preliminary plat not we can call the vote thank you commissioner ashworth yes commissioner baroto yes commissioner carpenter yes commissioner carter yes commissioner duver yes commissioner rexford yes commissioner thomas yes motion passes seven to zero 
Moving on to 1C, this is the special use permit uh, for this project. Shall I just bring it home? Commissioner Retro. <laughs> I move we approve the special use permit SUP-21-00140 for the development of an electrical substation, minor utility, approximately 9.98 acres in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway, and forward a recommendation of approval to the city commission subject to the conditions in the staff report. Do I have a second? It's a point of order, Mission, oh. Chair Mary Hedder. Oh, I'm sorry, I did not see that, please. I'm Mary Miller, I was just wondering if this uh, included the modifications or if uh, it yes. later. Yes, um, there are modifications on 1C, uh, the lighting, the sound level. Okay, so when I when I made my motion, I said subject to the subject. conditions in the staff report, and it's those very conditions that I was referencing. Right, Do there's two that? modifications separate than the conditions. Modifications from parking and modifications from the lighting standards. In, so if I make the motion to say including the modifications, is that sufficient? Did we have a second? We do not have a second yet. Have, I, I was interrupted. Second, I was interrupted the, before the, the second. The second has to be withdrawn. Okay. So is that is that a, is that a sufficient way to add the modifications? By just noting that they're there. Or do I need to read them? Could you go ahead and make the motion again with the conditions make, and the modifications? I'll make Thank this. You. Yes. Correct me if you, if I need to do more. Make a motion that we approve the special use permit SUP-21-00140 for the development of an electrical substation, a minor utility, on approximately 9.98 acres in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway, and forward a recommendation of approval to the city commission subject to the conditions and modifications as noted in the staff report. Good. Okay, now may I have a second? second. Commissioner Barota seconds. Is there further discussion uh, of this item? Yes, um, if I may, I, I would just like to, um, I, I plan to oppose this, not because I think it is not going to be passed, but I would like to, I'd like the city commission to pay particular attention to the enforceability of this special use permit. I'm really concerned about uh, Commissioner Carpenter's uh, observation that this is, once it's passed, this is effectively unenforceable uh, because the city is not going to shut down any uh, component of the power grid in Lawrence. I would like this to be part of a serious discussion on the part of the city commission, so I plan to oppose. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Um, I also hope that the City Commission pays close attention um, to this meeting. I've been going back and forth with it myself all night. Um, so thank you for that. And we do hope that they will pay particular attention. And I'm going to join Commissioner Carter with that no vote, with the assumption that there's still going to be enough votes in the affirmative, given how our conversation has gone, but I want to give emphasis to those facts, just about the permit. Any further discussion? 
Seeing that, if Jeff, if you could call the roll, please. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? No. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes five to two. I want to thank everybody uh, for their time and attention to this issue, particularly the members of the public. Um, uh, like I said, there are two decisions here that are moving on to the city commission. Um, so I hope we will see you again with the city commission. Uh, thank you for your participation. Uh, thank you for Evergy for their due diligence and coming tonight in force um, to speak to all our questions and issues. Um, and thanks to the commission here, our volunteer volunteer commission addressing this. So um, is there any miscellaneous new or old business that we need to add to tonight? None for this evening. None for this evening. Um, so what remains is to vote to recess until Wednesday's meeting. We need a motion. We need a motion to recess. <laughs> so moved. So moved. Okay. Commissioner Carter, second. Second. <laughs> Commissioner Rexroad seconds. Any discussion? Can we have the yeah, vote, please, for recess? Well, well oh, oh. I just want to say I'm going to do my best to be here on Wednesday. This this connection is pretty unstable. We even rejoined multiple times. Fortunately, I got through it. But I'll do the same thing on Wednesday, so bear with me. Thank you, everybody, for putting up with that. Thank you. You're always worth having here, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, so I, I wouldn't go that far. Go for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duver? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>